All right, so welcome everyone. My name is Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. If you're listening to this, this is the uh, couple minutes behind the scenes as we get ready to go live at seven o'clock. Welcome to clearproptv.com. If you're listening to us, it's probably through uh, paratalk.org. And if you want to see our cute mugs, just go to Clearprop TV and we'll be live every Monday evening, 7 o'clock p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. I think I did it. Did I do it? All right. <laughs> it's hard with these uh, different time right. zones. Anyways, in the house real quick uh, before we get a rocking and run. Um, oh, we just lost the boys. Oh, bummer. What the heck? They, well, they said, of course, they said, hey, I got 5G. Uh, yeah. And they drop out. But uh, we, should have, we should have um, Brian Waller and Never Trust the Skinny Chef Shane. Looks like they're jumping back on. We got JP, Chris, Linda, and myself. And we're going to be going live in about five minutes. So tonight, what we're going to be talking about, if Brian and Shane's internet works, they are over in North Carolina doing a foot drag or a get-together. No. Or what do we call this? A fly-in. Okay, it's just a regular a fly. You a know meeting what? of the mind. I call them off lions. I call them off lions because they're all flying. They're they're all lions, and I always think of them all always as foot drags. You know, <laughs> because you know when when I go anywhere flying, I'm foot dragging. So a flying is a foot drag. Whatever you want to think it is, yes. If we don't get Brian and Shane on, which they're having some difficulties jumping on, tonight we're going to be talking about the frequently asked most frequently asked oh, yeah. questions about paramotors and if uh, brian and shane do jump on we're gonna be talking about their uh flying over there so cross we our could face. also do maybe do a little bit of flying etiquette like uh how to act what to bring what to do if you've yeah. never been to a flying maybe something like that oh. i don't know oh that's kind of cool yeah that's a good one because you want to be it's a Afford where you want to be professional and safe. Exactly. Definitely don't want to go to a fly-in and have an accident or something. Yeah. No. So you're just. So Brian and Shane were just saying, "Hey, we got 5G or 4G over here, and we got some good video." And they dropped out. Is that what happened? You just dropped out. Yeah, my my phone is T-Mobile. It's dropped a couple times. Y'all hear me now? Yeah, we we got. Good. Yeah, he's trying to pull it up on his phone, so we'll see if it's any better. But we've had some pretty interesting events here already. A couple narrow takeoffs. Some people plowing through the grass with their lawnmower. Wow. <laughs> it seems like without fail, there's always some, uh, some close calls, and a lot of times it's trikes. Trikes will do barrel rolls, like, and not on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully not, nobody gets hurt. And it's all on the ground. Oh Barrel God. rolls on the ground, if you will. I'm on the paramotor pay, uh, page on Facebook now, so this is where all this is where it all happens on this page, where everybody has issues or whatever. And so I always tag one of you guys. We probably need to stream over to the paramotor uh, Facebook page one of these days too. Paramotor yeah. for beginners instead of instead of going to uh, instead of going to um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, YouTube. Yeah. I love this page. I actually have a question on here right now. Wow, look uh, at that. We got Never Trust a Skinny Chef Shane 
and a Brian Waller answering, and an echo. I hear All the echo. technology is so overwhelming. And we have Kevin Can Fly jumping on. Yay, Kevin Can Fly, and then he disappeared. Woo! So, now, so it's Kevin Can Hide. <laughs> Kevin Can Live Stream. Kevin can, can hide, and earlier we saw him out in high winds, so Kevin can hop. <laughs> I Kevin, know, huh? That was too cute. That was funny. Kevin can yeah. hop. That was good. That was good. I enjoyed that. This is really yeah. cool seeing two different views in the camper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is really neat. All right. like rolling trike. I had a... What's that, Chris? Technical difficulties. So I had to put together an anneal aluminum. You guys know what annealing aluminum is? Anyway, uh, Matt Minyard rolled his strike, and I had to put that back together and bend the aluminum back, heating it up, that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, that? Ago. Annealing that aluminum, that's where it finds religion, and it preys on its knees. It's annealing aluminum. <laughs> so uh, he actually rolled it going zero miles an hour. <laughs> and broke, oh, and that, broke it. Matt so, Minyard yeah. doesn't make mistakes. So how, go on. Yeah, go Matt on. doesn't make mistakes. He did it on purpose. So he was, he came in for a landing, and he's like doing maybe one mile an hour, and then for some reason, I don't know what happened. The wing just kind of went over, and the whole thing just rolled. Oh. Broke two spars. Wow. So, Gosh, and he man. didn't know how to anneal aluminum, so I had to teach him how to anneal aluminum and put it back together. So. Well, what, really what was he flying? What's that? What frame was he on? What wing? What? Tell us more. Oh, uh, I I don't know the wing. Uh, I think it was a. Uh, what does he fly? Um, was it yellow? What is the? What does he usually fly? They're titanium Jim? frames. The Mac fly? No, no, no. Frames, frames. Yeah, I think it was a Maxfly, right? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. titanium Maxfly. Mac yeah, titanium. It's got like the weird shapes on it. Yeah, this this one was this one was aluminum though. It wasn't titanium. I, it may or not have been a Maxfly. I'm not sure, but it had it had one of the Sky, uh, one of those new Sky engines, those liquid cooled. I don't know if you guys oh, seen really? those Sky Paramotors engines. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like Dude, that. that going to be the u.s dealer for sky paramotors so oh really for the those engines yeah those things are no joke. i'm excited i'm excited because force all right? all all over eastern europe they've been like touting this is like the next best thing for paramotor engines so very yeah, excited to see that thing 34 horsepower what? yeah so you've seen it too yeah yeah yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it spins at like at 12,000 RPMs or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right. We did talk about that it's, on one of our uh, podcasts. It's got the radiator above the, uh, like right behind your head. I could yep. be mistaken, yep. but I think it's the EOS Boxer. That sounds about right. Is a sweet looking machine. That sounds really good. I think we are live now. Oh, I believe uh, we are live. Well, welcome, everyone, to this amazing podcast. My name is Sean Simons, PPG Grandpa. Welcome to the show. 
Was that like awesome or something? Was that like really entertaining? That was, that was pretty good. I was, I was trying to go for entertaining. Well, as you can see, we got Linda Anderson. She is our cheerleader. We also have Chris Wheeler. My dog is choking. Okay, real quick. Just in case somebody doesn't know about my dog is choking, real quick, what is my dog is choking, Chris? YouTube channel. Just my dog is choking, all one word on YouTube. What does that mean, my dog is choking? That sounds interesting. It means test everything, don't believe everything you hear. All right. Feed you the pill the dog, that. if the dog chokes on it, then there you go. All right. Sounds awesome. We also have JP. Now, he's normally at his house, and he is our tech guy, but unfortunately, he is driving tonight. So he is our driving um, paramotor yeah. dude tonight. Just just a background driving noise. At home. Yeah. We also, we also got Kevin Can Fly at KevinCanFly.com. Yeah. Well, yeah. Howdy, howdy. And, of course... In North Carolina, the whole reason why we are on this podcast, we got Never Trust a Skinny Chef Shane and Brian Hayes. <laughs> you, guys, you guys are muted, by the way, so you want to unmute so you can talk to the world. There you go. There oh, you, go. you heard none of that stuff then? Can you hear me now? Yeah, we oh, can we hear you. All kind of trash about y'all. <laughs> oh, thank goodness that we turned that off. <laughs> So today we are going to be talking about a flying that happened or is happening in North Carolina, and we're going to let uh, Shane and Brian take it away. What's going on? Where is it? And what is this all about? And did I miss anything? Well, as you said, it's in Vail, North Carolina, and uh, Shane and I have been co-hosting this show on Mondays. I can't remember what it's called, <laughs> but uh, I've never met him in person, so we got to meet up here. Oh, clearproptv.com. And uh, when was the first time you seen me? You're flying. Yeah. When I pulled up and I parked, I said, okay, here's campers out here. There's a runway. This has got to be it. And I pull up and I look up. There's two paramotors in the sky. I said, this is freaking awesome. And turned out, I heard somebody in the sky yell, Brian! Guess who? <laughs> <laughs> no way. You actually heard him. He was that low or his Oh yeah. <laughs> or he's that he's low. That, he's that loud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's uh Vail, um North Carolina. It's flight if you got it. It started today and it goes until Sunday. And uh we're expected to have uh, close to 100 pilots and uh right now they're slowly trickling trickling in today. Uh so far, today's weather has not been great. I did not fly at all. I've flown. I actually got here Friday afternoon, flew Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. Did I fly Saturday evening? You've flown a lot, man. I have no idea. I wasn't here Saturday evening, though, so I don't know. Well, then you wouldn't know. <laughs> but anyways, it's, um, yeah, they even got a hot tub here. So after you... Uh, Foot launchers get tired and exhausted. You can go uh, soak your uh, weary bones into the. Uh, wait, wait, wait. David Wolf is there? No. Now, they, uh, they got a pretty good setup here. It's uh, about a 2,800 foot runway. It's not really wide, and the wind is always coming in crossways. So people are taking off sideways, cross um, runway. And basically, we've seen a 
few people barely clear the tall grass on the edge of the runway. But it's been pretty windy since I got here. I, I rolled in Sunday about lunchtime yesterday. And uh, there's been a bunch of campers rolling in all day today. Today's the official kickoff of the fly-in on Monday the 28th. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of people showing up. It's, it's a lot of older folks with trikes. Uh, and there's a lot of people with foot launching too. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Some power parachutes. So, yeah. We haven't, we haven't had any power parachutes uh, take off yet, but uh... – Today was today was kind of blowed out, if you will. We had two pilots go up and uh, try out the air, and, and what? Uh -oh. What? Sounds like somebody <laughs> found a Karen. Kevin. <laughs> There's always got to be one of them. It doesn't matter where you are. <laughs> Somebody got in trouble. Hey, Siri, daylight. Hey, everybody knows it's 15 miles an hour on the taxiway. You don't exceed 15 <laughs> miles an hour on the taxiway. You <laughs> yell that. But anyways, yeah, so far this this uh, this flying has been uh, – I've, I've, I've had a good time. I can't, I can't complain. Uh, we got mountains to the south of us, I believe it is, and, and mountains to the north of us. And uh, I think they go up to, God, I might be lying to you. I want to say eight to 9,000 feet, yeah. the ones yeah. to the north of us. Don't ask me what the names are. They told me six times. I can't remember. No big deal. But uh, we, haven't, we haven't gone over that way. But uh, when the wind is, is – the right direction that we will head over there because it's about 20 miles away. So what is, what's going on as far as the weather? You said the weather is bad. Well, we have a cold front coming in today. Ah. So, to, so tonight or all day today, it was uh, a little gusty. Um, tomorrow morning's looking like it's not going to be really all that great, but after it is going to be perfect the rest of the dang week. So I can't wait. Nice and buttery. Uh, anybody on the panel have any questions? I do. Sure. Um, oh, dog guy. Th <laughs> there he is. <laughs> <laughs> this question is for Brian. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Brian, how's the leg? How's the leg, Brian? <clears throat> Leg's good, man. I've been, uh, I've been icing it still every day. It's bothered me a little yeah. bit, but... Uh, for the first time, I got my wing out. I kited it. And I had a couple of screw ups on my first forward attempt launches, and then I took it about a hundred yards down the runway. And I felt pretty good. Awesome, awesome. And uh, I've kited some more today. Did a reverse inflation first time in a long time. Um, it went pretty good. It got gusty enough when I was hand kiting it. Actually, picked me up off the ground one time. Wow. So. Uh, and you put your motor on your back. Yeah, I, I put my motor on my back, run it, but I have not flown yet. I definitely want to, but it's still a little iffy. Is there a chance we're going to see uh, a maiden at this flying, maybe? There is a chance, yeah, for sure, that uh, I'll get good conditions. Problem is, as days roll on, when we get those good conditions, there's going to be a lot more pilots in the next sky, and I'll probably hesitate yeah. to fly with a ton of other people in the air. But either way, man, I'm having fun. Oh. Come here and hang out with folks. I brought a smoker. Go. And had a professional chef today smoke a uh, pork butt. 
Ooh, smoking oh. some butt. Boy. Yeah. Has, has, has Shane been telling you about his porn career again? <laughs> <laughs> I saw an x-rated show this morning uh, on the runway. It was two turtles. I got video. Oh, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> oh, this is oh, awesome. That was funny. No, no lie. No lie. Oh, so y'all need, I'm going to be making a YouTube video series of the Sparrow Turtle porn? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he'll, he'll get a, a small scene in one of my videos, but you, you not because of the size, that, just because you of the have how to title that video, The Fastest Way to the Finish. Yeah. <laughs> Brian comes back from pedaling his bike. You guys, you'll never see Mother Nature. <laughs> that was pretty accurate, yes. <laughs> oh my but, God. Uh, yeah, I threw something up on Instagram, but yeah, I'll be putting together a video series from this fly in, and uh, it'll include the uh, turtle action and a lot of other good footage. You should see the shower that him and Jason have set up in their tent. They have a, I want to call it a shower. It's more like a steam room um, camping in a tent. So uh, it's pretty impressive. Now, you know, one of the sayings that people have is when somebody uh, with a paramotor falls backwards, they turtle. Oh, so yeah. You do that and you show oh, more turtles. Yeah. Oh, that'd be funny. <laughs> hey, it looks like somebody turned what up. up. Wait, 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 What's wait. up? I got a perfect freaking. I got. Uh -oh. I, I got a, we'll talk later, but I have an intro to your um, your your video. You on the video. <laughs> oh, dude, it's on now. What what <laughs> happens when a paramotor turtles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my there goodness! I'm gonna see so if I can. I can't screen share, but I can show you. A picture, I think. Who's phone? Are you, who, <laughs> who's uh, whose phone is recording and whose phone is? Are you looking on? Uh, so basically, we're using Shane's phone right now. Okay. Um, to uh, live stream with you. Gotcha. We were using mine as T-Mobile. It wasn't working, but let's see if you can get this here. Yeah, I saw that on oh, my Instagram. Can you see the two turtles? <laughs> it looks like they're forward facing. <laughs> so I'm riding and one turtle is 90 degrees vertical from normal. He's on his tail and his head's sticking straight up, two arms sticking straight out. And I'm like, what the heck is that? A snake with his head sticking up? And I look at it, it's not a turtle. He's stuck on his back. I'll go help him. I go over to help him. <laughs> you I realized there's a turtle too. Turtle's like, I don't need your help, bro. Get get going. <laughs> oh my god. Oh yeah. Did, it, they, it was, uh, did they use protection? We're, we're having a good time. <laughs> wow. See, they were at the flying preparing to go tandem is what was happening. There you go. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> There we go. Now we have your, your show name, Tandem Turtles. Oh, gosh. You got it. <laughs> what do you, what do you say? It's like two turtles, one harness? <laughs> <laughs> Don't get Kevin started. I'm just going to go on like all, you know. <sighs> it's, it's Mother Nature, like, man. You know what happens. <sighs> oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yeah.
So did, you, did you catch up on all your bull riding and buck and rocking over the weekend there, Linda? Oh, my God. I can't get enough of that stuff. I'm telling you what. It was good. It was a really good Saturday. Serious bull riding. I'm like, oh, my God. These guys live to tell. It's thrashed everywhere. But that's the move. Oh, I like it. Watch it. So far behind. Yeah. Uh, at least a 10 second lag. Now, so uh, what, Chris, were you, uh, were you at the, um, the fly-in also? I think Chris is frozen. Oh, there you are. No, I'm not frozen. Wait, what are you saying? Then? Was I, I was at Endless Foot Drag, you which was last, yeah, it was last week. Uh, the 21st to the 27th, and it was in uh, Fredonia, Kansas. Okay, okay, okay. We got too many fly-ins going on here. I just want to make sure that we got them all straight. Um, I know, right? So what's the difference between the fly-in that you went to, Chris, and the ones that Shane and Brian are in? So I've never been to the one that Shane and Brian are in. Um, the difference is probably going to be scenery, right, I would assume. North Carolina's got to be a bit different than Kansas. Uh, we had 200 pilots, so it was packed. We had uh, the entire runway was full of uh, campers and trailers and that kind of stuff, and there was overflow. It was uh, it was good. There was clinics every day, uh, which was nice. So we had speakers every day. We had uh, you know uh, Chris Santa Crotree talk about uh, you know how to be an old paramotor pilot. Uh, we had uh, some guys talk about Vitarazzi uh, uh, maintenance and uh, long-term care of the engine. And every day, you know, Kyle O'Glee would talk about weather and stuff. Every day that there was a clinic and then there was flying every morning and evening until Friday. Uh, once Friday hit, unfortunately, the weather came in and it was too windy to fly for the entire weekend, which was really a bummer because most people come for the weekend, but I'm telling you Monday through uh, Monday through Thursday, it was fog in the morning. And in the afternoon, you, you had cloud cover that you could get over. So it was it was epic flights every single day until that weather came in. It sounds like what Shane was um, sending us was that Shane was that um, video of you with the fog and everything was that at the uh, at the other that that was of the fly-in. That was not my video, though. Jason was filming in front of me. Um, I have the same video. I just didn't post it yet because it's going to be part of my uh, YouTube uh, video that I do next. Okay. Um, you got you got a YouTube channel? Oh, I do. It's called Never Trust the Skinny Chef Shane. Just so you know, dude, I'm gonna have to subscribe to that. You should try it one time. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, it was amazing. We were only at 1,200 feet. Except for we're already a thousand feet above sea level, I believe it is. So, wow. I mean, yeah, it, it took nothing to get to the clouds. They were, it was not rough at all getting through them. You know, clouds going through clouds is uh, a little rough sometimes. These were not at all. It was, it was actually, uh, it was actually enjoyable. I was uh -oh. like, where'd the screen go? What happened? Uh -oh. Tech I see Shane over. JP. Huh? Who's putting the, who, are you putting that on the screen or is that yeah. Kevin? Yeah. Okay. You see, you see Shane, Shane's uh, channel? Yes. Yeah. 
I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I was just showing. Uh, it was hard to spot his uh, tent with the big "Never Trust a Skinny Shane Chef" flag flying right over it. <laughs> oh! Uh, they got a pretty. I hear uh, the grandpa is one of the flags too. What's that? Now, when when you say tent, you mean the Kenmore refrigerator box that he hangs out in at the fly-ins? With my with my sign that I hold up in front of intersections. <laughs> we'll work for Paramotor Fuel. <laughs> and beer. Mm. There you go. Now, Brian, you need one of those signs. Let's say, like, hay baler. You need something. Shane's got his, so you need something. You need, like, a flag thing. <clears throat> well, the reason I make that joke for everyone listening at home and on the interwebs is actually Shane has a really nice trailer that he travels in, and it's super comfortable. He takes care of it really well. So, I, I like to grind them on the fact that it's a cardboard box because it's the exact opposite of it. Well, actually, I'm literally in a tent because it would have cost me $600 to get here in fuel. And instead, it cost me $80 in fuel. So I'm literally in a tent. You Not right now, like to be clear. Yeah, right now we're in a camper. <laughs> we're in Brian's uh, Mataja Hall. So. Oh, this is Brian's. I thought this was yours, Shane. Okay. Nope, this is Brian's. What you want? Would you like the grand tour? Oh, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. There we go. That's where Brian and I spoon. I mean, hey, everyone knows spooning leads to forking. The bachelor pad. All right, tour's over. <laughs> encore, so, encore. Had this fly in, like I'm meeting all these people. I'm a pretty social person. I go up and talk to people a lot, and. We're talking to them, and, and literally, I think at least 99% of the people I've met so far, when I start talking about uh, the the accident, they're like, oh, yeah, I saw that video. Dude, that was brutal. You're a celebrity. Then, like, 99.9% like of the people never heard of my channel, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there. Just because your reputation precedes you. Yeah. And, and I don't care about the celebrity part of it at all, but what I got from that was there's really a lot of people out there that saw my video and my accident, and that's kind of why I put the video out there because I feel like a, a lot of people can learn from it and uh, not be in my predicament, you know, maybe have a little bit more restraint doing the hay bale slalom. I'm talking to you, Sean. I love my hail bale, hail bale slalom, man. I do it. I just did another one. I, I haven't posted the video yet. Well, if, uh -oh. anything, if anything, I think it just highlights how fast and how quickly things can go south. Because, exactly. Yeah. I, I, mean, I was no super experienced pilot, but I guess I, I wasn't a beginner. I don't know. Um, hmm. The two pilots that went up tonight, um, I know one's got about 180 hours uh, flight time. I don't know about the other guy, but uh, – you know, you couldn't get me up in the air tonight. It was just too gusty for me. Dude, it well, sounds like somebody's flying right now. If Wait. their feet are touching the ground, they're it's, not it's dark. Oh. If, you foot, if you foot drag with your feet on the ground, you're not technically flying. There's yeah, there just somebody you, running a motor up out there. I can hear all it. night long, right? What's that? That way you can foot drag all night long and you're legal because you're not actually flying at night. Yeah, as long that as you don't the end the ground. As long as you never was, uh, night flying at Dave Prudence, wasn't there, Shane? 
I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't seen anything. <laughs> what I mean, not by, not by paramotors, but by fixed wing. Uh, I believe there was uh, some sounds of some sound like something flew off the ground, and maybe a parachuter may or may not have jumped. Well, it was an emergency situation, so he had he had to bail out of the the plane. Hey. I have no idea. I mean, I know the, airplane, the airplane had to lose weight in order to maintain elevation, so they had to release some ballast. They had to jettison some ballast. That is correct. That is correct. You're allowed to deviate in any instance that is safe. Yeah, for the sake of safety, you can make uh, some compromises. So, so Sean, Sean, at any point you guys hear any kind of uh, music or whatnot in the background, let us know so we can mute. Um. We're, we're trying. They're they're playing right now. They're playing YouTube videos on a uh, probably a ten by ten screen, big screen. Yeah. So, Who if you hear I saw a picture uh, not too long ago, somebody had a projector on the side of a trailer from Endless Foot Drag. They were watching Robert's show on Thursday night. This is the live stream or show. Yeah, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why are you not doing that? <laughs> Sorry, man. My man, you're, 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 wise, you're wise not to because if you did that, you'd have half of that flying rolling through your camper right now. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, right. Yeah. We can open up the window I'm and let him stand outside. That before. It wound up backfiring on me. Oh, man. So, one of the things that I guess we need to ask because, you know, a lot of newbies are listening to this and are like, okay, a flying sounds like fun. What are some of the etiquette things that uh, you might need to tell a new person that goes to a fly-in? You want to take this or you want me to take it? Well, this is my only my second fly-in, really. This is my, yeah. this is my true second fly-in because I did Ohio and then I came here. Um, right after school, I went to Swanee uh, fly-in, but I didn't fly because I literally left school and went up there. I think that counts. Yeah, that definitely counts. But I did there. Fly. You're observing. You're, you know. So I would say there's. A, so what I have heard people complain about is some of the guys on either the PPCs or the trikes. They get set up, and then they decide what type of music they want on their iPhones or whatever. They're sitting there dialing in, the in whatever. Field. Yeah. Right. Why in the middle of the field, everybody else is standing there with motors on their backs waiting for them to take off. Yep. Oh. So, you, so you, I would say be courteous, walk out to the field, set your wing up, get your motor going, and get going instead of just sitting there. I would set your wing up last because really you want to wait. It's going to be the last thing in case the winds change anyways. You know, you want it to be the last thing you do. Plus, you don't want it out cooking in the sun. You know, get your motor and everything ready first. Get your get ready to fly, and then set up your wing. Yeah. So preheat or pre warm up your motor. Preheat your motor. Right. And then, uh, but yeah, I mean, just be courteous to other people. There, there's you know, foot launchers that are holding their wings or their motors on their back, and you know, you're sitting there messing, worried about your iTunes or whatever. Nope, I don't want that. I don't want that song taken off. I don't want that. What is that song? Meanwhile, there's people standing behind you, with a with a motor on their back waiting for you to take off. I I think uh, getting in and getting out 
as soon as possible would be uh, number one for me. How many people? One of the cool things. One of the cool things that they did at EFD is they set up a second uh, runway just for trikes. The foot drag or the foot the foot launchers were not allowed to fly over that runway, so they would have a clean uh um launch uh if you're a trike so the trikes were separated from foot launch and at every pilot meeting before each evening it was don't set up in front of people you set up you get you put your wing down you set up you clip in and you go you don't stand around waiting on thing that's the that's the Unfortunately, that's probably the most dangerous part about fly-ins is right there at that taxiway and and that in the and the runway so um other than that is keep your head on a swivel look before you turn that's the that's probably number two look before you turn because there's a lot of things in the sky so i don't know if you guys remember and i could be remembering this specifically wrong but i think it was either the palm bay fly-in or the fly-in that you guys had at the compound but there was actually a mid-air collision between a trike and a foot launch guy about 50 that, feet off of the ground. That was, that was just, it was a Palm Bay, which is the compound. It was the Fun Fest 2020, I believe it is. So I, 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 I do remember seeing, cause I was part of the conversations, even though I'm far enough away, I shouldn't have been. But when they were setting up and planning the, the stages for endless foot drag, that incident was taken into account, I believe. And that was one of the reasons why they separated them. I, I don't know. I mean, I personally I got that video here somewhere. If you give me a minute, I'll put it up on the screen. I, I mean, I've seen some safety issues, you know, where people made some pretty close landings and takeoffs, but mainly where people were starting and running up their motors without paying attention where the plane of their propeller is. And people were like a bench with five people sitting on it 10 feet away with their right in the plane of the propeller. And that's not where you want to be. So, so you want to you want to make sure you, you before you do this stuff you check your surroundings. Absolutely, Especially you consider when you have all those people out there. Oh my god! Well, you consider your your uh, prop wash and your prop as a as more like a loaded gun. You point it away from everybody, and then and then you throttle up and then you hook in and go. Yep. Yeah, that yeah, that makes. Is there enough room at these fly-ins that uh, you have enough room to um, rev up your engine and oh yeah, and, and yeah, not I, worry about stuff like that or what? Yeah, I, I there's to, there's there's a whole field this way from us that literally has nobody there. I mean, there's no reason why you can't point it either down the runway or, or to the woods, a big field over to over this way i don't know which direction that is i want to say that way i don't know what direction it is <laughs> actually south what we show it here so watch you have a guy come across foot launching and here comes the trike the tandem trike watch this okay oh man i've never seen this best cameraman oh. ever oh. yeah best cameraman ever wow yeah, I remember seeing that actually. Me either. Um, all three people, all three people walked away from this, from what I heard. But uh, yeah, yeah my, I mean, my, minor injuries. Yeah, I mean, you lucky too. 
So who's coming in towards us right now? Yeah. That's a trike. We have a trike, right. trike tandem. It's a tandem trike, uh, and then you have a foot launcher coming in from the left. So the foot launcher is the one that basically the wing hits the trike, and then who is dips. at fault? They're both at fault. <clears throat> yeah. It's equal. It's equal fault because they should have been paying attention. It's your job right. as pilot in command to use wow. visual flight rules. But the person that's coming in for a landing has priority. Which is the trike. Which is the trike. And the guy that uh, foot launches, where is he launching right like right into his No, nah, he's just fucking around. He's pardon me. He's just messing around. Oh, so he's the priority is the priority is not actually the trike landing. The priority is the fact that um, there's two there's two faults here. Technically, if the trike wasn't landing and if that wasn't an established runway, the the guy on, on foot would have uh, priority because he's lower. However, because that's an established runway, he's going across the path of the runway, and so therefore he's at fault. Technically, though, the lower pilot has the right. However, because it's an established runway, all that goes out the window, and the trike has uh, the trike has priority there. Also, I want to add that the foot launch guy was not a registered member of the event, so he technically oh. shouldn't have even been in the air. He got booted out immediately from this and asked, like, never to return because of that fact. So, which which oh. I would point out that. They didn't have permission from all the landowners using all their land. So he could come back because, well, they're not even supposed to be there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Valid point. But. Ow. Oh, Was man. anybody I, injured in this? Yeah, I'm glad he's okay. Yeah. No one was injured right in this whole thing? No, I believe, I believe there was minor injuries, but everybody walked away. Here is a Man, he he fell from a good. What is that? Twenty feet, thirty feet in the air. He went straight down. So, what happened to the trike? Do we know if the trike actually recovered and landed? It did not recover. No, he went down. Oh. And that was a tandem trike. Yes. Dang. It was a tandem with a. tandem with a, a young passenger on it i believe oh um, wow yeah but uh no one went to the hospital or anything nope um so <laughs> they walked away i'm sure there was gear damage had to be uh oh, the, yeah. the foot launch his wing was ripped in half i bet <clears throat> um and everyone makes mistakes you know maybe sure. it was just an error of judgment bad decision you know <laughs> Pardon me. But look at that car. Man. That that trike is over too. That trike could have landed right on that car. Absolutely, that could have been him. a lot worse than it was. Absolutely. So I guess since we're seeing this midair collision, and uh, you guys are over at a uh, flying right now, what are some of the things that? Say again, Chad. What are some of the things that you can do to make sure that this doesn't happen? Um, Head on a swivel. Shame. Yeah. Number 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 one, head on a swivel. Number two, wait your turn. And when it's your turn, head on a swivel, look around. And I mean, for me personally, I get hooked in. I check behind me to make sure that there's nobody coming into land, whether it's emergency or whatever. And 
I'm, I'm, I'm looking ahead. Once my wing comes up, I'm looking straight out, occasionally looking up at my wing and just make sure there's nobody coming in that's lost power, what have you. And, uh, well, I'm off. But coming, and that's the other thing, too. A lot of these people at Flyings like to, to get up in the air and then sit right over top of the, uh, yeah. the takeoff zone and do tricks. Get, get up, get out, come back later. That's, that's my rule. Exactly. That, that's what I was going to add. And, and when you only got one or two people in the air total like today, because oh, it was windy, then you can kind of hang around on the runway and foot drag. But right, um, this is my second flying. I've yet to fly at one, but that's something I've always been told is, you know, you don't want to fly around here. You know, you want to take off and land here, but then get away from here and go find your own private little playground and have fun and then come back and land. Because nobody cares about your tricks, pretty much. Correct. Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> so is there a frequency that all the pilots are on that we can hear one another in case something's going on or is it just a free-for-all it's a free-for-all yeah we haven't heard anything about any kind of common communications no and um chris you said that there is 200 people there was 200 people at your fly-in there were 200 pilots there was uh many hundred people more than that i'd probably say there's another 200 including kids and families you know so it was busy um, there was no comm set up, but basically it was like, look, nobody really cares how, how well you do a wing over, go fly somewhere else. Don't fly low over an active runway. And um, there is no second chances. If you're, you're told you're not allowed to fly over the trikes, you're not allowed to fly over the campers. If you do, goodbye. You know, uh, so there was no second chances. It was like, you know, and I like I liked that a lot. You know, it put the responsibility on the pilot to make sure that not only that they were safe, but the people on the ground were safe. And um, really, not giving everybody a second chance uh, made sure that nobody was going to have an infraction even the first time. So it was probably um, it was incredibly safe for the amount of traffic. It was incredibly safe. No one even came close to breaking the rules. All the pilots got up, got out. Nobody flew low under the uh, over the flight zone. It was it was good. Very nice. Very nice. So is it similar um, over over there as it was with Chris as far as the same rules, Brian? Well, as of right now, we haven't really had. There's not that many pilots, and the and the weather's been kind of bad uh, today. So I'm, I'm assuming I don't know that there will be a safety meeting maybe tomorrow morning if the weather's good. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is my first time being at this one. Um, so far, I've had a great time. But then again, there was only me and my, my partner uh, flying. Um, we got here Friday afternoon, so we've been flying since. <laughs> but no one else has really flown. So we've had I mean, maybe five other pilots Golly, I can't even remember now. I think there's four or five other people that got up in the air the other day, but there's so much to go see. We just took off and everybody did what they wanted to do, but we didn't have any issues because of few, so few pilots. That's about to change, though. There's a lot of people that are going to be here for this they're next coming weekend. In. They're coming in. And today was the official kickoff of it, and you know a lot of people are working during the week and whatnot, but... 
So, yeah, there's a lot of people rolling in today, and I know several people are not going to be here until the Wednesday to Friday through Sunday time frame. And uh, so next next weekend is going to be pretty crazy for sure. Like I said, I'm sure at some point they'll have a safety meeting. As of right now, we have not had it, only because weather's been crap today and truly no one flew. There's two pilots, and why even bother at that point? So with you doing that SIV course and, you know, being in higher winds, is this not something that you could have done? I'm sorry, what's that? Is this not something that you could have uh, flown in because... Um, didn't oh, no. No, nope. this, this was worse from, than the SIV course? From the day I got here, it's it would have been before the SIV course, I would not have flown any of this. But um, now, I outside of today, today was outside borderline of my uh, comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And I just, I would have flown it, but I would rather hang out with this guy. And, Aww, uh, that's so romantic. All right. All right. Aww. Actually, Major, his, his dog Major is kind of cool. Yeah. So, you know, it, it gives Brian a little bit more uh, advantage, you know, for me to come and hang out with him because I do have the coolest dog in the world. Right? He's pretty cool. Everybody loves Major. He's out there. He's, he's got uh, He's got a girlfriend. Her name's Gypsy. <laughs> They've been playing. Maybe a little humping. We've been having some fun. But, uh, yeah, oh, good time. Nice. Yeah. What I'm hearing out of all of this is that Shane has already learned how to fly a paramotor and that he wanted to ride Brian's one wheel all day. That's all I heard. <laughs> nope. Yeah, I've been offered, and I'm like, nope, I'm good. My wrist still hurts from the SIV, so oh, I, I don't even no. know the other wrist. I've had a couple people get on it and try it out, but uh, I warned them. I was like, you know, when I trained at Aviator, they wouldn't let us ride the students ride them to the last day of class. Because that was the number one cause. Of <laughs> yeah, the number one cause of injury for students, not paramotor training, one wheels. Wow. <laughs> oh yeah, the one wheels. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You twist oh, an ankle on a one wheel day three of training, you're out of you know you're out of training. I I will tell you at this fly-in so far, the host of this um, has been more than con- uh, accommodating. Anything you need or want, boom, he's on it. it it's it's been. Jeff, Jeff has been uh, hands-on. He's not just throwing something out here and say, okay, well, it is what it is. He's is. He's been nonstop working yet. I don't even think – I know for a fact I haven't even seen him fly yet. He's been too busy working. So That's, that's, gonna, that's what's going to keep people to come back next year. Right. You know I mean? Well, hats, off, half off, hats off to him because he's really, truly – putting forth an effort and making this as good as it can be or great as it can be. That's, that's Jeff Pearson and fly if you got it. Correct. Okay. Any, any clinics? Um, I've seen them on Facebook. Not that I heard of. No I haven't clinics? heard of any clinics or anything like that. Brian's having an icing the ankle clinic later if anyone wants to join. Yeah, I'll be that one every day at 2 o'clock. <laughs> there you yeah. go. There you go. Now, I'm optimistic I'm going to get to fly, man. I, I, I am. I'm sure you will. No, I, I had an idea is you, to save you from all the running is you just get your motor on your back and your wing all laid out and then just use Jump the one wheel to launch from. And then you can just have Shane waiting, holding it stable and flat. When you come into land, just land right on the one wheel and just roll you know, right out. I've seen some pretty good pilots. 
I've seen some pretty good pilots doing the one-wheel thing, and I've seen some guys kiting wings on one wheels. It looked pretty impressive. But I have yet to see a single person foot launch, forward launch, with a motor on her back on a one-wheel. Well, I think it's right. doable. I, I think somebody I out there should do it. I thought I saw a video that did that. When you post that not? video and you and you get like ten thousand million views and start making money, just remember whose idea that was. That's all I need. I could have sworn I seen people that have already done that, including um, riding bicycles and taking off. I mean, you know, I'm sure it's a bicycle there. sounds pretty straightforward, but you know, I, I, can't his, I can't think of his name right now. But who's who's the instructor at Happy Thoughts PPG who's literally done like every funny thing you can think of with a paramotor? I don't know, but I know a guy that's training with him in the next week or two with a trike. Uh, so uh, his name, his name, his name is uh, Carson Rotten Rot, Rottenberg. Or yeah. I can never remember Carson's. I trained at Happy Thoughts. I was his very first class. Let me tell you, there is no one who can manipulate a wing as good as Carson. Oh, I, and I'm not kidding about that. He is amazing yeah. with a wing. But yep. uh, yeah, his videos are kind of goofy. Yeah, I'm 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 half decent at kiting. I do a pretty good job, but I'm definitely not like anyone who's going to go boasting and posting videos online saying amazing, I'm the best or anything like that. Well, he never says he's the best or anything like that. He's not a uh, no. He doesn't. He's not a he doesn't super. have to. He doesn't have to. His <laughs> skills say it all by themselves. That's the thing about being humble is you let the yeah. Yeah. not the not the actor. So what was funny is that uh, the endless uh, foot drag, they had kiting horse, of course, right? And there's a hundred bucks up. So everybody goes, Matt Minyard won it one day, you know, and the very next day Carson shows up and, and I was telling everybody, I said, okay, well, don't even enter because you're going to lose your hundred bucks because he showed up. <laughs> sure enough, like everybody, everybody decides, oh, we're still going to do it. And, and immediately Carson just took them all down. So, yeah. It's awesome to see somebody who knows that much about just like being able to pick strings out of the air and do whatever he wants with the wing is amazing. Yep. No, kiting is its own mastery. You know, being able to be a good pilot is, is one side of this sport. Being a good kiter is a whole different skill. It's a whole different mastery. And some guys are great kiters. Doesn't make them great pilots. And some guys are great pilots, but that does not make them great kiters. So, you know, and the big place that you will see that is when you go to the free flight community. You will see guys that will advance classes in wing. They'll go from a B to a C or even a D wing, and they'll make a big jump. And then when they get on launch, they realize quick that that more advanced wing will shoot way faster. It plucks them, you know, and, and these are guys that were 20 minutes ago telling you about how you know, they got their P4 rating and they, they, they'll tell you about all the places in Europe that they've flown. And then you watch them launch straight into the bushes and you're like, that's <laughs> awesome with all of that freaking D-wing you got. And then you watch a guy who's literally there with his instructor on an A-wing who pulls the wing up, turns around and flies off the hill perfectly. So having yeah. that boastful skill is all good and well until you stick yourself in the bushes and then you just look like a jackass. So hey, can can they, can anybody hear the background music? I nope. Don't. I really know. Okay, nah. I'm just trying. I'm nah. just trying to keep copyrights out of this uh, out of the. Oh, I see what you're saying. I can't. I can care less. Um, I already, we can I play whatever up we want to. I don't care. So. 
<laughs> I, I, I got a question. iTunes, iTunes hasn't demonetized us, so we're okay. Yeah. What, what, what's your question, Linda? It seems like a lot of the people flying now are getting a lot more braver and trying out different stunts and all that, which it probably shouldn't be. And the wing tapping thing that they're Rule doing now. One. If I was yeah. up in the air flying and somebody tried to come close to me like that and try to my wing, I'd probably like freak out. You, you just you wave your legs sideways like that it means no. It means go away. It means leave me alone. Oh, that one? No. Really? Yeah, the well, easy, easiest thing is just to continue to turn away from them. It, it pretty much signifies <laughs> they don't want you by me. Yeah. If you, if you got like, a slower wing and they're determined, you're pretty much screwed. I yeah. just like, that freaks me out. Spiral away from them. Okay, now who are we watching right now? Now, see, tapping wingtips in the air isn't scary. It's when you tap your cage and foot on a hay bale that's scary. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh -oh. oh, Calvin. Got hey. Uh -oh. hey yeah. I get to say that because by the week's end, Brian will have flown again, and he will have redeemed himself, and all the jokes hope, will have been worth it. I hope so, brother. I hope so, man. I got my crystal ball today from the cleaners, so I saw it. I saw the future. Well, my goal my goal is after I leave this flying, I plan on sticking around for the duration until Sunday, and, and then I'm going to work my way over to Ohio. I think some other guy we know lives in that area, and uh, – I hope I get to fly with him. Oh no, I've I've watched him on a one wheel. <laughs> he, Ooh, he, he told me he face is, plant on a one wheel. Hey, he is uh he's just shy of uh, needing the same amount of screws in your in his ankle as you had <laughs> yours does. Uh, <laughs> JP Who are you who are you chasing, JP? That is Predator Paramount. I'm like, what am I watching? Yeah, what are we watching? That was just the tip touch. You were talking about tip touch. It's right. Some... Who's, who's oh, flying and God. who's tipping are we touching? That was uh, Chris, Chris Tolbert of uh, Motor Training in uh, Dayton, Ohio. He's on a black gin car, 20 meter, I think. 20, 20 meter. Yay, yay, yay. That's, that's, the the, that's the wing I want to get. I want to get a 20 meter gin car. Yeah, yeah that's Why? nice. It's really Thank nice. You. PK, uh, power attack. Um, Why does everybody want a gin carve? What's so good about that wing? Because it's freaking awesome. The gin, the gin carve. Right here. The only way I can explain flying the gin carve is if, if you've ever mastered something like a skateboard or a bicycle or something that's like on the, the, the fun side of extreme, that's really like what the gin carve feels like. The brake pressure is immediate and solid. The turns are solid. The pressure in the wing is solid. It, it, if you're a competent pilot that connects with the wing, watch him right becomes, here. It becomes Ready? an extension Ready? of you. Who's, but at who's, the same time, it's extremely stable. So if you want to just do a cross country, you can stow the brakes and put your hands in your lap and you don't get a bunch of crazy oscillations. It doesn't feel like it's out of control. So you get in my opinion, the best of every bit of the world you can ask for, except for the lightweight material. If, if Jim like, would make like the call in lightweight, uh, I would be selling my soul to buy one. I would say it's pretty comparable to Freeride. It's the, the wing Tucker flies. I think it's a detuned version of the Freeride, personally. You get into the Freeride? It's a, it's a detuned version. The Freeride's oh, a little more roll. The Freeride wants to roll more. 
Okay. So I'll be testing a gin carve in November, uh, the week of Thanksgiving. Awesome. So right now I have just give I have two check. other wings that I'm actually doing right now. Uh, reviews just give on. Just your check and keep it. Just don't even bother. Just just send them the check and keep the wing. So are you adding a third <laughs> wing to your quiver there, Chris? So right now I've got five uh, that I'm doing right now. Two of those I'm doing reviews on. Um, so those two will go back. Uh, and then in November, the week of Thanksgiving, I'm doing a review on the gin carp. So, and then I have one more to do right after that as well. So uh, expect some question. review videos coming up. So Chris, question for you. If you're going to do a, re a review on a wing, how, how many flights, how, how long... Um, do you fly that before you have a accurate review for yourself? So right now, the one I'm doing is the Falcon. It's also made by Jen. It's more of their cross-country wing. I've uh, honestly, in the first flight, I could tell you all about that wing. It was that uh, it was that comfortable of a wing to fit into and go. Uh, I probably have about 12, 13 flights on it now, though. So. Uh, I'll give it a good week or two. Um, you know, if there if there's great flying weather before, I'll give the review out on something. But um, on that particular wing, I knew right away. I, I knew right away how it would handle, what it would do. Because first thing I do is just go straight up as high as I can and then try to figure out what it's going to do. So, that's a, by the way, that is a great wing, too. That That's a perfect wing so far out of the ones I've I've reviewed. That is the perfect wing to move from beginner to intermediate on because it's really an intermediate slash advanced wing, but it's, it fits more in the inter intermediate realm. It is incredibly stable. It's hands up all the way. Uh, it handles midday flying well, and it is fast. It is unbelievably fast for what that wing is. So your landing, great, great wing. Your landings are about twice as long as any other wing you fly. <laughs> just, just yeah. energy. you just glide and your, your toes yeah. drag the ground and you just glide for 50 60 yards like my spider i'm like touching down 20 30 yards with the falcon i just sat there and just grazed the ground for like 50 yards before i actually bled off enough energy to just jog it out the only thing is and i was curious to get your opinion i wasn't a huge fan of the tip brake setup that they have on the falcon it's it, weird it didn't, it didn't all right it my favorite so I'll tell you right now that I hated it. In fact, um, after my second, third flight, um, Matt Minyard was the only gin dealer around. It was, it's one of Santa Croce's wings, right? But Santa Croce wasn't around. So I found Matt Minyard and I'm like, here, help me out. We've got to extend these tips. We've got to extend the brake lines. The problem is, is you can extend the brake lines on that model, but you couldn't extend the tip steering with it. So right. you would screw up that 2D steering. It was horrid, horrid. From what I found out is there's actually three different models of the Falcon, and they've reiterated. The one that they produce now, and the, if you bought it new now, you can extend tip steering and brake at the same time. So. Right. You can also remove one of them. There's like three different ways to pull the tip steering, um, and Mark Honeycutt did a video. Yeah, you, you take the tip brake, you remove the tip brake, and then you tie in the 2D to where the tip brake would tie into. Right. But it speaking the, speaking of uh, my dog is choking. It changes name. the characteristic of the wing drastically. It makes it roll way harder. So if you're not an advanced pilot, you definitely don't want to make that modification. 
I'm about to go check on my dog, man. I don't know who's taking care of him for the last hour. Major. Major. <laughs> anyway, my and my phone's about to die. So Brian hey. and I are out of here. Thanks um, for joining in, guys. Yeah, yeah, man. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Wish you were all here with us. And uh, look, look, look at Shane and I's YouTube channels in the coming days, and we're going to have some videos from this. Never, hey, never. Monday Brian. Next Monday. If, I can, <laughs> if I can share any bit of fly-in wisdom that I've ever had with somebody who's at a fly-in, don't get drunk tonight because the best flying will be tomorrow morning. Well, we don't drink to get drunk. We just drink. And get drunk. Oh. I, <laughs> I heard drunk. Kyle O say that until he ran into the Louisiana crowd, and then all of a sudden he woke up feeling like a monster sat on him or something. <laughs> all right, guys. Hey, hey. great show. And uh, right. we will see you guys next Monday for sure. We'll have yeah. a whole bunch of uh, stories to tell you. If you see hey. David Wolf in the after show, tell him we got the hot tub. Yeah, we got Hello. a hot tub over here. Be safe, sure. guys. Have a good time. Enjoy hey. Be sure to hang something on the uh, hang something on the doorknob of the trailer before you guys. Hey JP, JP, JP. What's up? Bye. Uh, <laughs> if, if the face mask is hanging from the trailer doorknob, don't go to the trailer. Exactly. Um, we got we got their uh, information in the description below. So. If you want to check out their YouTube or anything, social media, we have everybody. As a matter of fact, everybody that's here has a description down below. Check it out and see who these people are that you're listening to. Go to paratalk.org, and that's what you're listening to. All the description will be in there. And also here locally at Clear Prop TV. Woohoo! Well, um, we have Chris that has gone to a fly-in, so we can continue this a little bit. And this Chris needs to go. I can hang out for another 15, 20 minutes. That sounds good. Um, since you're here, tell us about your fly-in and uh, maybe some etiquette about fly-ins. About the one I was just at? Absolutely, please. Any of them. A yeah, any of yeah. them. Yeah. Just, just anything in general. Okay, so besides, I think etiquette is, it doesn't matter what fly-in you're at. I think it's just etiquette is etiquette. So the big one, of course, which we've already discussed is don't set up in front of somebody and then wait uh, to get off the ground. Set up, get off the ground. You know, uh, be, have your wing laid out for the least amount of time humanly possible, I think is the first one. Second one is that uh, I would say uh, don't fly over an active runway, uh, head on a swivel, and low flyers always have the right of way because you can't see above you because there's, there's a giant wing in the way. So if you're above somebody, they have right away because they can't see you, you can definitely see them. If you guys can't see so, me at home and you're listening to this, I'm shaking my head up and down the green with them. You can't see through the wing. Is it cool to yeah. uh, foot drag random trailers? Yes. That is definitely <laughs> the coolest thing you can do. Lots of RV people love that. Yeah. RV people yeah. love it. You fly right over their very just like stuff. Just like it's horse people. Just like rush, horse man. people love it when you fly your paramotor around their horse ranch. Yeah. They yeah. love that. They love that. Okay. If you are I very new that. to paramotors and you, have, and you do not fly, this is all uh, not true. Do not believe Orgasm. them. They are laughing behind your back. 
Fantastic. Do not fly around people with horses. They get very upset about that. They are very, very touched and very close to their animals. They love their horses. And when you make the horses upset, you make the owners upset. It's just they go hand in hand. Yeah. Don't eat. Yeah. You don't want to mess with that. You know what's funny though, believe it or not, is horses actually behave fairly well around paramotors. It's cows and goats that don't behave well around paramotors. <clears throat> the goats. I love the goats. No, seriously, the goats, like, they lose it. Like, they start running around the pen. They start trying to jump out. Like, it really upsets goats. I don't know why that is specific to goats, but it upsets them. I found, I found something on a paramotor just now. Can I read it real quick? Absolutely. I won't say a name. I'll tell you guys later or whatever, but it says, um, day one, right before my first attempt, I know shortly after I was drugged 50 yards sideways, running at about 32 miles per hour, impressed that I can run that fast. Um, anyway, lost a shoe, ate some dirt, and all in all, a great start. Can't wait to get hard tomorrow. Unfortunately, on my first day, we had a 60-mile-an-hour wind. And yes, shout out to my, oh, shout out to my master professional, professor, Kevin can fly. So who is, who am I talking about, Kevin? So that's Mike. So there's a couple of things, and then there's a few comments. If you read down below, there's some comments yeah. on that. And I, so I you know express, that one, right? Okay. I, I, oh, yeah. I, and I can address some of those, those comments and things that were said. So number one, real quick, nobody can run 35 miles an hour. So that's just an embellishment right there. Number two, nobody was drugged by a wing anywhere. By using the words drug, what that means is when you're like halfway turned around and the wing is in the power band and it's just pulling you downwind and you're running with it, that's what the term drug means. Not I was laying on the ground being drugged along by the wing. So the wording sounds a lot stronger than it actually is. He didn't have his shoes tied very tight, <clears throat> so taking a step backwards, he tripped over a tuft of grass, losing a okay. shoe. That's but, where you're doing like, your kiting. That's where yeah, you so, got that video from the kiting. Exactly. So all of okay. this took place. All of this took place when the winds were between six and eight miles an hour. When the winds started to pick up above eight miles an hour, we stopped kiting. We went to the car and pulled out the far aim and went over all of FAR 103 and what it all means. We pulled out the sectional chart, went over airspace and what it all means. Then I looked at the flag because it was sticking straight out and Mike said something to the effect of, "Is can anybody kite and win like this? And I said, I can. And he said, really? And I said, sure. I said, as a matter of fact, why don't we make some fun out of it? You grab my phone and I'll go live on Facebook and I'll do some high wind kiting and you can do the filming. Since there's two of us, makes it a whole lot easier instead of just setting a phone up and trying to stay in frame. And so that's what we did. And at that point, when I was kiting, the winds were, I would guesstimate to say between 16 and 18 miles an hour steady with gusts to about 20, 25. It looked like it. And and so when it would when it would lull down and you were you were at the lower side the the the, the ten or fifteen mile an hour side of the wind, I could basically just kind of stand there with the wing nice and comfortable, and then when the wind would pick up and gust, I'd have to lay my entire body weight on the chest strap and try to hold the wing. 
the hard part was at that point in time of the day, it was like two thirty or three in the day. It's midday on a full Sunday in a wide open, freshly mowed sod pasture. Thermals are breaking and running across that field like no one's business. So as you watch that and you see my wingtip fold in or you watch the wing take a whack and I spin around and catch it, you notice I actually catch the collapse before the wing comes to the ground more times than not. And I open it back up, fly it back overhead. It's difficult. I won't say it's impossible, but it's difficult to use a full-size wing, not a mini wing. This is one of those like, oh, yay, I went to the beach and kited in 18-mile-an-hour winds. You're like, well, that's fun. You were using a double extra small dominator. Ha-ha. Right. Everybody can do that. Go use a full-size wing. And I don't mean that like challenging. It's just is what it is. We fly that wing, right? It's a 25, 24-meter wing. We, we fly a 24 meter wing or a 26 or a 28. I mean, that's, that's what we fly. We don't fly a kiting wing as much fun as it is to say, I have a kiting wing and I practice kiting with a kiting wing. We fly a full size wing. So if you can kite manipulate and manage a full size wing in that kind of wind, it means you probably could fly in that because if you can manage it on the ground, you could probably manage it in the air. So it's not about being able to say to anyone or show anyone that I'm better than you. And it actually, for me, is kind of frustrating because as I look at the video, there is reference. He does, Mike does pan the camera and reference to the windsock several times. And you can see that all three wind tails are straight out. But the way that I'm standing there kiting and holding the wing doesn't make it look like there's as much wind as it is. So on one aspect of it, it's like, oh, you're just making it look like you're kiting around all easy. But on the flip side, if you take into account what's really going on, it's high winds midday with thermals on a full-size wing. It's just relatively difficult, more so than being at the beach in 10 or 15 mile an hour winds. So, you know, I had some collapses. Yeah. And like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I don't proclaim to be the greatest kiter on the planet. I'm, I'm decently oh, yeah, good at it. I feel my skills, but I'm not the guy that does tricks. I don't do ground helis. I don't, you know, the, all that stuff is for people, in my opinion, who have sponsors or have enough money to be able to buy wings or pay for repairs and stuff and don't care about it. I can't afford to send my wing out for a $450 repair if I try to get cool and wind up dragging my wingtip through something on the ground and tearing my wingtip open. You know, Sean found out sadly the hard way that when his wing touched the motor, it put a big hole in it. And then just a quick touch is all it takes. And now you're spending a couple of bucks to have to go send it off and get it fixed and you're downtime and now I can't fly. So the risk versus reward just isn't there for me. But I don't mind doing some tip touches and some Cobra launch. I mean, the standard skills that you would expect anybody to do to just basically be able to control the wing. That's all. Not special, not fancy. I'm not anyone that couldn't do anything no one else can do. And I know there's a lot of people that are better than me at kiting. But it's fun to be able to say, I can do it. You know, a lot of people or some people would maybe not even pull a wing out and win like that. Whereas another person looks at it and maybe like our friend Sean Nafsker. That guy might look at that wind and say, oh, playground. So, you know, each guy finds their own niche and in their own fun spot. That's my takeaway. Cool. But yeah, Mike was never in any danger. He never actually got drugged. He never was getting, he never got hurt. I never put him in in any place or any way that I wouldn't expect him to not be able to make it through the day. So 
I enjoy, I enjoyed that video because he said, um, Kevin can fly. Oh, wait a minute. Kevin can hop. <laughs> Kevin can hop. That was a good video. I actually liked it. <clears throat> but, Just messing uh, around, messing around, you know, showing people what can be done for, you know, for a student on a day like that, when they don't, you know, they don't have the, the, the confidence or the skills yet to understand that bringing the wing all the way overhead. And that was kind of the lesson of the day at that point was, the wing is only scary from that 30 to 70% arc. When it's on the ground, it's not scary. When it's all the way overhead and you're just sitting there kiting it, it doesn't drag you or pull you. It's not scary. It's just in that power zone is when it's scary. Right. So to demonstrate to someone, it's not about boasting. It's just about showing them the dynamic of the wing. Once it's all the way there, it can even be high winds. You can take a big gust. And as long as the wing's overhead, the wing will just take that gust for the most part right and there's a difference between what you were in and uh, laminar beach wind correct i mean where i'm at it's pretty laminar like I'll, I'll give it it's it's not very unstable air i've got about a mile before there's anything that would create mechanical turbulence at ground level so i've got a long open space of clear wind before it gets to me the thing like i said that keep in mind is that it's a wide open field so thermals just break and run across the field. It's one of my favorite things is once the day's gotten late and the students are no longer able to fly, that's when I like to take my small little 80 motor and jump on my bigger wing and then go up, pull the trims in, get to about 500 feet, shut the motor off, and then fly around for 15 or 20 minutes just thermal hopping and then come back and land just for the sake of saying, I get to have my fun today too. Because... <laughs> The instructor sadly always has to fly in the worst air of the day. We either have to play wind dummy and make sure that it's good for the students or we get to play after the students are done. So it's just another skill building. And then with my paragliding background, it's kind of just one of those keeping the, the tool chest sharp with all the tools you got. So being able to go up, play in a few thermals and come back and land, maintaining safety, you know, it just keeps my own personal tools up to date. So, I don't know, just fun stuff. Flying is flying, uh, you know. Do it for yourself. Do it for the entertainment and the smile, not to impress anyone. I mean, that's, that's my biggest, probably the biggest advice I could give anyone is do it for the smile, not for the, for the boast factor or the, the superhero factor. I mean, we're a superhero alone. Just fly over a park with some kids. You'll find out real fast. You know, they look up at you and it's just, oh, my God, how cool is that? It's, well, you know. You don't see it very often. When you see some guy go flying by on a bed sheet and a lawnmower, you're like, what the frig? You don't have to do anything special. And sadly, when we do special things, the public most often thinks we're crashing. You do some wingovers, right. they're like, oh, he's out of control. You're like, no. Then they call the cops. They're like, I watched him go down. You're like, I was just foot dragging a field. It was all good. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I've had it happen. I've had the cops respond to, you know, the LZ. And then when they get there, they're like, oh, people called. They said you went down. And it's like, I, I watched you, you know, as I was driving, he's like, I watched you fly, you know, for a thousand yards across that big sod farm, it, you know, toes dragging across the ground. He's like, it, I wasn't sure what was going on. He's like, uh, you know, I get a phone call says you crashed and I get here watching you drag your feet around. I I have no idea. And, you know, most cops aren't pilots, so they, they generally don't have any idea. Yes, yes, JP. Did you have a question? No, I was saying I've had that. Oh, could you put your hand up? Cops show up and think that you crashed. 
because they got oh. calls about you. Yeah, you yeah. do some wingovers or a sat or something, all of a sudden a phone call. Cops are coming, ambulance, fire truck, the whole nine yards. You're like, yeah, if, if people see you in the air and then you do anything and then they don't see you in the air, they assume that you've crashed. And because uh, most people aren't familiar and most people are considerate and nice. And, you know, the general population is, I would say, good people and, you know, want to make sure that we're safe. And now there are the people that call the cops because they want you, you know out of the sky because you're having fun. The fun police, you know? Karen. Oh, oh sorry. I just both ways. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's definitely true. So that's why, you know, like I said, it, when, when it comes to advice, being around people, it's it's that public perception kind of thing. If, if we do anything that's a stunt or perceived as a stunt, then we get perceived as the guys that do wheelies on sport bikes down the freeway, splitting lanes. Yeah if we just fly stable and steady and show that cruising confidence, then people are like, Oh, oh, look at that guy. He's in control. Even though it's the most benign thing you could ever do is just fly flat and level. So just one of those things. I know that Chris needs to go pretty soon. So Chris, is there anything that you want to say before you need to head on out, brother? Hey guys. (laughs) Yeah, not really. Bye. Just real quick. Yeah, yeah. I have. Uh, yeah. You said you have four wings that you're reviewing right now. I was just curious, what four wings do you have? Correct. So one, I'm not going to tell you because it's incredibly controversial. But the Falcon, the uh, the Carve uh, in November, uh, the Drift Air, and then one that I'm I'm not going to tell you. Oh, oh, and, and, oh, you know what? I'll probably do one on the Hadron XX anyway as well, just because I know that I'm going to be flying that one soon too. Uh, but unfortunately, I'll only have a day on it. So I don't, I don't know if I'll get an actual review on that one or not. So. Will, you, will you at least tell us who makes the wing? No. Oh. I, I, I'll give you a hint. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a hint, though. It is the most controversial wing uh the paramotor community has ever seen we already know oh, it guaranteed guaranteed extremely controversial and it's not the warp it's no. way more controversial than the warp i'm just teasing because tucker did no. that video about trying to launch a 16 meter <laughs> warp and we got all kinds of flack so you know what's you know, your idea yeah, yeah. 16 meter warp for sure my channel is my dog is choking when i all one word when I type in my dog is choking, I get a bunch of videos on how to give the Heimlich to your dog. <laughs> you're, what you're doing is you are not typing it in all one word. It has to be all one word. Look, look in the description down below. <laughs> look in the description down below. There it is. Yep, right there. So. Excellent. Well, we will look forward to all right, guys. Chris. Thanks for uh, spending some time with us. Thank you, Chris. All right. I'll see you. See you, Linda. Right. See you, Sean. Bye, yeah, Kevin. Bye, Thanks JT. for jumping on. Appreciate it. Bye. Well, we have been uh, yapping for more than an hour, so if it's anybody fun. else needs to leave, fun. I, I think so, too. Um, yeah. You know, there's... I, I, have, um, I have grandkids, and I have grand dog. I got 
you know, a lot of stuff going on over here, but I tell you what, I, I kind of enjoy um, doing these podcasts. I really enjoy this. And of course, if anybody wants to come on one of these podcasts and chat with us, just go to ppggrandpa at gmail.com. Let me know that you want to jump on and what you want to talk about. No big deal. Um, nine times so, out of 10, we're kind of wondering what we're going to talk about anyway before the show even starts. So this is terrible, but has anyone been following the chat? I don't even know if anyone's in the chat. Oh, I don't know. Um, I, was I know that my phone will operate a split screen, but I haven't figured Rucci's out how to do it. Yeah. What's up, Ruchi? Brandon Ruchi. Ruchi flies. Oh, Ruchi's right. in there. Mitch Briggs. At least he was. Mark McElroy was too. They probably all left because they weren't. John there. Wayne. Hey, look, JP's in the chat. Hmm. He is. Oh wait, I'm uh, sorry. Hey, hey guys, Brady, Brady Smith. He's been. Uh, he started flying again. Who is? Brady. Remember, he was a guest on our show from um, that lives in Arizona here. Brady I put Smith. the link to join like, the canyon. Flying through the canyon. And if anybody's in the chat and wants to join us, um, I put the link to join. You should just be able to click that link and it should jump into the Zoom room. And if you want to do that and just want to chat with us for a little bit, I'm not sure how long we're going to talk. So I can share something real quick that happened sure. today. Um, sold some brake pads. Sold some brake pads and some brake rotors. Yeah. Oh, no, oh please. Guy come I, in. No, I don't even want to go there because I had that done in my truck last did you, month. Did you intentionally spend like 45 minutes on the computer trying to find the not findable part for the customer that was a total pain in the rear end? Uh-huh. I'm not going to say I've never done that. But. <laughs> you think I never worked at a parts counter before? He's like, we're just going to leave that alone. You gotta ask like four times what kind of motor is in the car. Like yeah, every yeah. step of the way, you have to be like, "And what engine was that again?" Mm -hmm. have it doesn't actually ask you that on the computer. From out of state, <laughs> gonna be a shipping fee on that one just because yeah. I don't like the yeah. way you look. I gotta, I gotta get that from my downtown warehouse. I can have it by three. No worries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like, no, it's like at my work when I cashiered, and if I had any rude. A-holes, I call them, you know, and uh, they'd be asking me, hey, what do you think? Do you think this is okay? And I'd be like, yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah, that's good. Even though I knew I'm like, probably isn't, but, you know. Now, see, in the, in the parts world, when you don't want to deal with a customer anymore, but you really want to give them the stick, you tell them that you have to order the part, even though it's sitting on the shelf right behind you. And yeah. you make them leave, you make them yeah. leave and come back later. Oh, when that, not, I'm sorry, sir. Yeah, I used to do that, too. I go... Oh no, that's special. I, I I get on the computer and just kind of when I'm looking, and then I go, oh that. I'm sorry, sir. That's special order. No, you just use that fancy like JP like service. JP did with his watch. You just look at the time and you go, oh man, <laughs> it's, it's one o'clock. We just missed the morning run. I can have it ordered and get it here by five. How does that work? Yeah. And then you pull it for him. Have the receipt and it all waiting when he comes back at five, so that way he gets what he came for. You don't screw the customer. You just no, delay no. them yeah. on what we're going to have going on with their day for a little bit. It's just a fun way of being like, you want to mess with me? I'm going to mess with you. I'm going to do it in a way that you don't even realize I'm doing it. 
Does this really happen? Yeah. It really happens. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is what happens. This is what happens when you have people that come into your it store happens. that think they're going to tell you what you're going to do in your own store. You you smile and you nod. Oh yeah, no problem. Yeah. Thirty three years of doing retail. Yeah, a lot of things. A lot of things happen. Yeah. But I have one question, as usual. So. The person that's doing free flight and the person that's doing paramoting and they want to go out and they buy a wing. So is the wing like is there a paramotor wing and there's a free flight wing or you can it's just all just a wing? Yes to all three. Yes, so you I, can get a paramotor wing, you can get a paraglider wing, or you can get a crossover wing. I got a crossover. I got that uh, Gen Vantage three. It's good for motoring or free flighting. <laughs> Well, almost oh. every single motor wing is certified for free flight. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Okay. And what you certify them is with the trims all the way full slow. Because when you're paragliding, you're trying to maximize efficiency and lift. So you want to fly slow and be as buoyant as possible. When right. you're paramotoring, we generally fly about trims half out, give or take, for the most part. And that's where you get about the most efficiency with a motor. So if you okay. have a crossover wing, then you can kind of split the difference between the most crossover wings have a fairly decent trim range. Like the Dudek Universal has a huge trim range. You can actually get a ton of speed to get out of that thing. So it just depends, you know, and it also depends on your area. So if you live someplace like, I don't know, I'll just use Kansas as an example where it's just dead flat and there's no mountains around. Right. It doesn't really behoove you to have a crossover wing because you're probably not going to be paragliding anywhere. But if you live, say, at the coast, it might be best to have a crossover wing because you could paramotor in the morning, and then when the winds pick up, go over to the paragliding launch and then go get a soaring. So it just it kind of just depends geographically on where you are as to what tool is best for the job you're trying to use. Oh, interesting. Okay. I just wondering about that, you know. But yeah, there's there's all three categories, and oh, uh, you can uh, uh, use a paraglider to paramotor with, and you can use a paramotor wing to paraglide with. Just they're not the best tool for either side of the fence. Hmm. That's why most pilots have what they call a quiver of wings, and they'll have one or two free flight wings, and then they'll have one or two motor wings, so that way at any given day, at any given condition as long as it's flyable, they've got a wing to suit the condition. So like for me, as an example, I had two free flight wings that were stolen, but one was a large wing and one was a small wing. That way, if I go to the coast and it's kind of honking, I can pull out the small 20 meter wing and then go send it off the cliff. Whereas most of the guys are going to be standing around wishing they were flying. On the flip side, when there's light winds, then I can pull out the 26-meter wing, and then I'm super buoyant, and I can boat around when the winds are light. So it gives me the ability to fit more of a wind range. With the paramotor, I've got a 24-meter wing, and then I've got an 18-meter wing. So when I'm at the coast or when it's higher winds, then I'll use the 18-meter wing because I get better penetration. If I want to do foot drags and fly low and just do a lot of fun scenery flying, I'll use the spider because it's a little more docile and I can do everything I want hands off and have no concerns. So it's just fitting the right tool for the right type of flying you want to do. Um, we have yeah. paramotor in uh, North Carolina, NC, 
I hope it's North Carolina because every time I see NC, I think of North Carolina because I, I do believe that's Carolina. our friend, Mr. Todd Falstad. Oh, okay. He asked a question in the chat. Um, did I buy the gin or is it a demo? I actually bought it. Uh, would you recommend it uh, stepping up for an, from an A? Uh, no, I would not recommend it stepping up for an A. I started off with a, spy, uh, with a Roadster 3, and it is definitely more spicier than my Roadster 3. Um, I would recommend a Spider or a Roadster bef you know, as like the, the step up from an A-Wing. What is your thoughts? Um, I, I strongly recommend the Spider as a out-of-school wing. It, it's really super stable. It's a really good trim range. And with the lightweight material, it makes it easy to launch in nil wind conditions. What size it, it your, uh, Roadster and what size is that? Uh... The Roadster is a 28 and the Gin is 28. However, the Gin only has uh, A, Bs, and Cs and no tip steering and very small trim range, but it oscillates. It, it's really hard to keep it from oscillating. I mean, there's a lot of active piloting with the Gin Vantage. However, it's very carvy. I can get up there and do some wing overs and spirals pretty good. The uh, Roadster is really, really solid um, and with trims all the way in and you don't touch the, the tip string. It kind of feels like, it, it kind of feels like uh, what I would assume an A-wing is because I never had an A-wing. So I, I can tell you a trick to help you cancel your oscillations on that. Yeah. Pick whatever side is most comfortable for you as far as your general standard weight shift and let your trimmer out about an eighth to a quarter of an inch on just one side. So that way the, the wing is always trying to make a stable turn, whether it's right or left. And then when you put in just a quarter inch, it's going to want to just continuously make that turn. And then you weight shift your body to cancel the turn and the wing no longer wants to oscillate. It wants to hold itself in that turn, and then with your weight shift, you hold it straight. Yeah, no matter what I do, if, I, if I'm, uh, no matter what trim range I'm using all the way in or out, um, it still oscillates. But I'm also in some pretty yucky wind and weather. You know, I, I like the midday flying. I, I do, you know, higher winds. It's not as stable as the, the Roadster. I also flew a Spider too, and the Spider, was very solid. Um, the gin, there's just a lot of, a lot of play, a lot more play than I was uh, ready, than what I was expecting. Plus, there's a lot less fabric. Even though it's a 28 meter, just like my Roadster, the fabric it seems like there's less fabric. So it's a higher aspect ratio. Definitely, it has lots of lift. I can I can um, run like uh, three or four steps and the darn thing lifts me off the ground where I'd have to probably in the same amount of wind, you know, take 10 steps with the uh, Roadster. So I don't yeah, know. The, the higher aspect ratio generally makes wings more efficient, but there's always a sacrifice. And so when you get one, you always lose another, which is why like the free ride and the warp are so daunting to some pilots is because they're always constantly trying to turn. They don't really want to fly straight and stable. So if you're one of those guys that's constantly flying the wing and you're constantly maintaining 
um, what do we call it, dynamic flight, where you're yeah. doing a lot of carving and a lot of moving around where the wing's always dynamically loaded, then that's where it's going to be happiest. Whereas other wings for like the Roadster or the Spider, for example, you can stow the toggles on them and lean your whole body weight onto each riser one way or the other. And it just gives you a real gentle weight shift turn. Yeah. So you, you, you pick up some gains and then you have some losses. So with the increase in speed and the increase in efficiency, you lose a little bit of stability. Actually, my roadster was faster. I've lost, I lost about five miles an hour on the uh, gin, but you know, the gin is, you know, something that you go up and you carve around and, you know, you do something. The, the uh, roaster brings to the numbers. They have a darn near identical aspect ratio. If anything, yeah. my, my the roaster gin is, is a little bit uh, uh, longer, like uh, a little bit more aggressive. No, the, the higher the number, the more of a box shape it is. So 5.05 .05 compared to 5.1. Is that what it was? So that's 5.05. .05. I think that's backwards because if you look at a gen, or at a, a carve, it's almost six. It could be Which wrong. Is, and this is also interesting too. You know, people that are out there so that's, what, what that what that's saying is it's six meters of span for every one meter of cord right so the higher the aspect ratio the the more aggressive the more um efficient so if that has so that has a, a flat ratio of 5.8 so that has a higher aspect ratio so it has more width to its depth right. so it has a, it has less distance from the nose to the tail in relation to what the Roadster has. But this is actually the car, so. Well, I'm just, whatever it is, I'm just using it as a reference. All right. But it's virtually the same number, 5.05 to 5.1. Yeah. This is gonna be, so they're very, very similar. I think they're marketed to the same sort of pilot. Yep. Um, and, and also too, you know, um, when I burnt my wing, it's kind of good that I did because when I sent it in, um, my lines were, you know, failed also. Um, and it was not considered airworthy. So I put on almost 300 hours on that wing in the first year. So it mm -hmm. was kind of, it was time for me to get another wing so it was really nice that i was able to send that in get it fixed and uh now i got a you know new wing and a new I'm wing. waiting on that that hot new covid check to come in so i can get me a new wing is there gonna be another one they're, that's heard, what they were saying that's I what i saw is. i saw reports of uh, another another round of covid checks 1200 bucks for each adult 500 bucks for dependents Interesting. I yeah i'm waiting for that because, you know, 1200 bucks really validates the nine and a half months that we haven't been I'll take working it. or anything. Hey, if, if it can get me another wing, I'm okay. Um, Mark, <laughs> Mark uh, asked, uh, have, I have never touched my tips during handles. Uh, what should I expect? Um, from what I have uh, uh, gone from not t touching my tips during to 
to actually using the tip string is that once you start using the tip string, um, it becomes extremely carvy. Um, even though it's a 28 meter roadster, when I start pulling the tip string, I can, I can carve that booger pretty good, almost like the gin. So basically, the easy way to understand the difference between tip steering and main brakes is your tip steering is going to give you more of a yawing, rolling turn, whereas your main brake will give you more of a flat turn. But it's also so, going to make you go up a little bit. Well, that's well, what I mean by flat turn. So if you pull just straight down on the main brake, the glider just gently comes around fairly flat and i mean unless you pull a fair amount of brake but if you, you compare pull, your main brake to a rudder and a tip brake to ailerons kind of no like, not really it's different no, it's, it's different to me it's, to me it's kind of the opposite so main brake is is more like the ailerons and the tip steering is more like the rudder because you get a lot more yaw effect out of the glider with the tip steering because it's meant for course correction so when you're on cross country and your trims are full out and you're fully accelerated, you're only supposed to use tip steering, right? So you're not wanting to roll the glider at full speed. What you're wanting to do is make course corrections. So the idea is it induces yaw. Okay. So it yaws your direction. That's, that's the intended purpose. I pick up when, you combine, right. when we combine the tip steering with the main brake, you get yaw and roll together. And then by moving your hand in and out, you control how much yaw to how much roll you're letting the glider have. And when you watch the, the slalom professionals that are full speed bar and you watch them turn their wrist, so they're actually pulling the tip steering in by turning their wrist, which is what's initiating the turn. They dump the speed bar, then pull the main brakes. And then as soon as they come out of the turn, main brakes go up and they jump right back onto the speed bar. So all of the initiation is in the tip steering by rolling their hands in. And their toggles have a line that comes out of the thumb and then one that comes out of the pinky. They don't come together from one connected central point. So it's different, totally different methods of using tip steering to do totally different things. So if you use it as it's intended, it's a yaw for course correction. If you use it in combination, it gives you dynamic ability to control the wing. And if you use it in a slalom configuration, then you're able to initiate big turns while still on speed bar because you're not pulling main brake. As soon as you pull main brake on speed bar, you induce a collapse, especially on a high aspect ratio wing. So if no one has ever pulled a tip steering for, for the first time, what do they expect? If you pull just a little bit of tip, it's almost like pulling, if you pull an inch of tip steering, it's probably like pulling six inches of brake. What do you mean, no? I, the Depends first on the time. If yeah, you're generally, okay, on, on my roadster, yes, on my roadster. Generally, you pull generally speaking, an, an inch or two of, of tip steering is gonna give you a pretty standard three degrees per second course correction. I would, the first time I pulled it, I don't really know because, uh, Mine are tied in now, but the last time I flew a Roadster, it seemed like not much happened when I pulled the tip steering. I, it, if anything, it was almost you have to pull more to to get the same amount of you know of turn out of it. What really happens is when 
you put you hook the tip steering with your thumb and pull the main brakes with the rest of your hand tying them together it just kind of multiplies the effect but i mean the main thing like kevin said it, they're there for is when you're fully accelerated that's how you're supposed to turn the glider you're not supposed to use main brakes um it's a safety thing so it's not like you know if you're just you know flying regularly the tip steering isn't there to make you turn bigger or make you turn more acro or anything it's just an, an alternative to the main brakes uh, really as a safety feature um but uh you know depending on how you want to apply it, you can also tie it in or just hold them both. You know? Yeah. Some wings, some wings you can still use the main brakes, even if your trims are all the way out. Yeah. Some wings Most of the ozone wings are like that. The ozone, all, are, they mark them as so safe that uh, what you don't want to do though, even still is be full trims out full speed bar. You don't want to pull symmetrical brakes because that's really asking a lot. You can pull one, you but you don't want to pull both that's gonna well, it's counterproductive when you consider the the thought behind it because if you're trying to go full speed the last thing you're trying to do is go full speed and then hold the brakes it's like yeah, right. I, I relate, to, yeah. I relate yeah. ours to flying oftentimes because most of us own one of those and we've driven one most once or twice and so like i say it's like you don't take both feet and then press down both of them as hard as possible, where you're pressing the brake as hard as you can and then pressing the gas as hard as you can. They're, they're counterproductive movements. It's generally one or the other. So if you go full speed, generally your hands are going up because you're trying to get the max amount of speed out of it. So that's why I kind of always wonder how people find themselves in the predicament where they're pulling main brake when they're fully accelerated because it just doesn't make sense, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I got you. And also, too, you know, with me having a Roaster 3 28 meter and a uh, Gin Vantage 3 28 meter, even though they're the same 28 meter, they're still considered a B. They both handle completely different, like totally different uh, animals. So if you're new and you're jumping, want to jump from an A wing to a B wing, um, I would definitely get up with your instructor um, and and talk with them just because a B-wing is not just a B-wing. A 28 meter and a 28 meter is just not the same thing. Um, may, uh, now, the one thing that I have noticed is that the Ozone Roaster 3 and the Ozone Spider 3, they both handle about the same, except for the Spider popped up so much quicker than the Roaster did. But um, what, what do you think, Kevin, as far as uh, going from an A-wing to a B-wing, you probably need some professional advice, or what would you say? Honestly, I, I think if anybody's become what we would refer to as a competent pilot on an A-wing, they should be able to get on basically any B-wing, and it should just feel like the next step. It shouldn't be scary. I mean – for for any of us that understand the rating system of the wings, B wings generally are only B wings because they fail one of two categories. They either fail the full frontal recovery because they'll sit there and oscillate, or they'll fail full stall recovery because they'll shoot a little harder than an A wing will. Otherwise, a B wing is basically an A wing with just a little bit more trim range. 
there's not a whole lot of progression from an A to a B. Now, with that being said, there is a big difference in progression from a standard B wing versus a high B wing. And that needs to be made very clear. So if you're looking at wings and you're looking like, hypothetically, we use the ozone website as a good tool. So when you look at wings on the ozone website, it shows you a colored bar graph of what the wing is designed for. Intermediate, beginner, advanced, um, expert, et cetera. And so they have these colored lineups next to the wing setup. And then you can see what the wings are targeted for, I guess you would say. And then when you look at that, you can think to yourself, well, I don't want to get stuck with an A wing and not have any fun. Well, on the flip side, you really don't want to get yourself in over your head either. So using one of these tools, if, like say if you're a self-trained pilot, if you look at the website and you use that gauge to expect what are you going to get, it's going to give you a rough basis. And do you see the screen, Kevin? Yeah, I can see JP's screen. I'm just waiting for him to find the... I see where it says light intermediate. Is that what you're talking about? Well, no, no, no. There, there's somewhere. If I think if you just go to compare gliders on the left. No, go back. Products go to the main ozone tab up on the top left. So it says compare gliders next to need help. There you go. So now you see how it fits you into the categories, right? So beginner for a Spark 2, a Mojo Power, a Kona 2. Now you see how the Kona 2 brings you up into the intermediate range. Now you look at the Sport gliders, so the Roadster 3, the Spider 3, the Speedster 3, the Sirocco, those all fall into the Sport category. So if you're going from the easy category, or i.e. the A class, and you're moving into the sport class or the B category, now that's not necessarily a true representation because the Sirocco is a C-wing, but it shows you the direct reference to where it falls in the category. So if you're an intermediate pilot looking to grow your skill, that wing will take you all the way into the advanced range. It also shows you the competition levels. So if you want to get into this wing, you fly it heavily loaded, i.e. at or above the max loading, that puts you into the competition range for the wing. That's going to make it extremely very, very dynamic. So when someone says, oh, I fly a 20-meter Sirocco, that is equivalent to them, say, flying a 21 or 22-meter free ride. Because as you move through the categories, you can equalize them by putting them in the same wing loading category. So, like I said, it's, it's just a reference tool, but that, that tool on the ozone page, it kind of gives you an understanding of when you're looking at the wing, what are you expecting the characteristics of it to be? So when you look at the Spider 3, it goes from beginner to the upper stages of intermediate, but it doesn't quite hit the advanced levels. Mm -hmm. So if you're a beginner pilot and you've gotten the A category figured out, moving to a spider is going to be that next step for you to go from that beginner through to intermediate range. So a B-wing is relative, <clears throat> and it's also relative to the way you load it. 
So if you're in the correct weight category of a B-wing, you shouldn't have anything that would be, quote, unnormal or scary happen to you unless you're the kind of guy that puts yourself in dangerous situations. I overloaded a 23-meter A-wing um, over at the SIV course, and it was the most carviest, scariest wing I ever flown, and it was an A-wing, only because I, like, super way overmaxed it. Way over the top, yeah. And yeah. A-wing is, is, you know, it's only a rated wing when you fly it in the rated category. The minute you move above or below the, the rated land, weight, then you're no longer flying it in the range that they've said this is where and how you can expect it to behave. And so that's why ozone, at least as you saw on that previous page, they give you an understanding of where that wing moves into the competition zone. So if the wing is rated from say 85 to 120 kilograms, and you're the kind of guy that flies at 140, and you're gonna be flying 40 pounds or 20 kilograms over the max rating, you're gonna be in the competition range. So even though it's still just a B wing or still just a C wing, you're still max loading it to a point where you're going to have the wing behave like something that's a much higher class, much higher category. The one mm. thing to keep in mind is a higher loaded wing also means more collapse resistance. So the higher the wing loading, the less it's liable to collapse on you. But if it does collapse, trying to uncollapse it would be... No, it'll back up. It'll just be a little more violent. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You, you still get the same category. You still get the same characteristics. It's still a B-wing, but what happens is going to happen faster and more violently. So if you, if you're heavily loaded and you take a tip collapse, it's going to be a bang. I mean, it's going to, it's going to give you a heading change. When it opens back up, it's going to be a bang. You're going to feel it. You're going to know it. If you're in the weight range and you take a tip collapse, you may not even know what happens until the wing opens itself back up and you go, Oh, what was that? Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, it, it's how, how we dynamically move through gliders is mostly about how we weight ourselves on the glider. Secondarily to that is the category that the glider falls into. And the biggest thing that most people don't understand is a, a C wing or a D wing doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to have, a buku more performance. What it means is that it's going to take incrementally more pilot input to correct it. That's what that means. So it doesn't mean that a D wing will collapse more than an A wing will. What it means is when a D wing collapses, it's going to require the pilot to fix it. You're going to have to pump the brake. You're going to have to pull the stabila line. You're going to have to be the guy fixing things. The wing's generally not going to sort itself out. On an A-wing, a B-wing, basic rule of thumb is put your hands up and count to 10 with your eyes closed. And by the time you get there, you'll be flat and level again. So why would people, why would people go to a C and D wing that's, you know, um, that, that's like that? I mean, why would you jump to that uh, point anyways in your career of flying? Most times, yeah, it's out of pompous attitude. It's because people think that if they're flying a C-wing or if they're flying a D-wing, that automatically makes them a better pilot. If I wake up tomorrow and I post on Facebook that I'm flying a free ride now, that automatically denotes that I'm a better pilot. No, it doesn't. It just means you're flying a more advanced wing. doesn't mean you're a better pilot. 
But in a lot of people's minds, they think if I'm flying a C-wing or a D-wing, that automatically makes me a better pilot or that automatically makes it a better wing. And I, I reference wings the same way as I reference shoes. One set of shoes can look really cool on your friend, but they just don't fit your feet. It's just, they just, it's all, it's all how it is. So every, every individual person has a different foot. Every individual person walks different. Every individual person will fit and feel comfortable in a different pair of shoes. It's the same as the wing. Sean can fly the, the gin vantage. I could fly the same gin vantage. He can love it. I can hate it or vice versa. Right. The same wing. We both are competent pilots. We both can foot drag. And we both might find opposite ends of why we like and dislike the wing. It, and that's why if you're in the market and you really, and this is where I feel like I, I think some people take advantage of the system is if you're really in the market for buying a wing, you should probably set aside three to 500 bucks in shipping costs and demo stuff with the honest intent of buying something. If you like it, I know a lot of people enjoy demoing stuff but i think if you're not actually you know if i like it i'll give you the check for it you really probably shouldn't demo things if you damage it you're liable to fix it and if you're not willing to buy it that means that someone who's trying to sell a wing doesn't actually have a customer with a demo who could actually make a sale gotcha and i mean that's to me i mean it's just one of those if you're not buying don't be looking. <laughs> so, so, so don't um, just go out and try to demo things just to do reviews. Just to demo. I mean, if all you're doing is just flying stuff to just go fly someone else's wing, I mean, that's your own moral ground to stand on. But my opinion is you really should only be doing demos when you're actively interested and invested in buying something. Gotcha. I mean, I, I don't go to the Chevy dealership and, and go test drive Corvettes all day and then go, well, you know, Think about it. <laughs> Thanks for those tires, by the way. Those were fun. That, <laughs> hey, that people do that. They my, do. My ex sold. Yeah, my my ex sold. He was in the car dealership business for like twelve years, you know. And oh yeah, he had a lady that uh, you know, insisted that um, she, she ended up like test driving like 12 cars that day and it was like 110 out but before she would get in the car she told him you know you gotta make sure you get that ac going for me and all this stuff and he did everything he possibly could and then she's like okay thank you i just wanted to drive around today check out the cars and that was it oh i got yeah. i got a funny car story when when i was a younger man i worked at a buick dealership you did? And, you, were a, a, you, you were like one of those car dealer guys? Well, my dad was a career mechanic, so it kind of started me in life working on cars, too. Okay. So I got, I got a job working at the same dealership as my dad. It was a Buick dealership. <clears throat> and I started as a, a lube tech and then moved up after getting some certifications and became a brake and front-end specialist. And then the dealership <clears throat> decided they weren't doing specialty anymore. They were just doing bumper to bumper. So every mechanic that was there was expected to work on anything and everything from the front to the back of the car, didn't matter what it was. So all of a sudden I'm rebuilding and fixing transmissions. I've never fixed a transmission in my life, but today's the day we learn. So this little old lady, she stood about four foot three. She pulls up in this 
Buick, uh, what is it, uh, Riviera. And if you guys remember the late 90s, early 2000s, when Buick came out with a really sleek Riviera, it was a really nice car, supercharged 3.8 liters, scooted along pretty good. So she brought it in because it had a blown up transmission. So being the dealership, we don't actually rebuild them. We just take one out, go to the parts department, get a new one, put it in, send the other one back for rebuild at the factory. So I put a new transmission in her car, send her away. She's happy. About two days later, maybe three days later, she comes back in with another blown up transmission. So car was under warranty, go to the parts department, get another transmission, swap them out, give her a new tranny. Another three or four days later, she comes in with a third blown up transmission. What the heck? So I switch it out. I give her the new transmission and the, the service manager tells her like, look, this is, this is the last one. We can't just be like giving you transmissions once a week kind of a thing. And so he asked me, he says, why don't you go for a ride with her and see what's going on? Because maybe there's a reason why there's these transmissions keep blowing up. So I said, all right, sure. So I get in the car with her. We get on the road, she puts it into drive, but instead of putting it into regular drive, she pulls the thing all the way down to one. Oh. And then as she goes down the road, she's going down the road with her foot on the ground in first gear. Then yeah. she did this like for about 15 there. minutes. I looked at her and in the nicest way I knew how I said, sweetheart, I said, you really want to move the shifter up to where it says D. And she looks at me and I swear to God with a straight face, she says, Oh, I can't use that gear. That gear goes way too fast. <sighs> and it was at that point I went and told my service manager what has what had been going on. And he let her know that they would not be replacing any more transmissions due to the way that she drove her car. Well, take her driver's license away. Good Lord. Well, God. the best one, best one of all was, a, was actually as a, a Riverside County Sheriff's Officer in California. She bought a brand new Z06 Corvette. And then would bring it in every single day for a week straight telling me about how all the lights on the dash keep going off and the traction control keeps going off and the ABS keeps going off and all the systems keep going off and, and it, there's, you know, something's wrong with my brand new Corvette. So I, right behind our dealership was a, a mountain. And so we would drive up to the first turnout, turn around and come back because it's like a couple, three, five miles up a mountain road gives you a good ability to test the car both up and down a hill. And I found nothing wrong. I mean, if, if you put the car into a full power turn, it, the traction control would come on. It would stop you from crashing the car. If you went into a corner hard and slammed on the brakes, the ABS worked. It wouldn't lock them up. Everything worked like it was supposed to. So same kind of thing. My, my, my manager says, well, go for a ride with her and figure this, you know, figure this out. Because, you know, I'm young. I'm trying to learn all this. So he was a really cool guy. He's trying to help me learn how to be a good mechanic. So I get in the car with her. She gets onto the morning traffic freeway and literally starts sliding this Corvette across four lanes through traffic at 130 miles an hour. We get pulled over and she reaches in her little purse and pulls out her business card and her badge and says, oh, it's all good. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And it was like, oh, no wonder. So I took her to a parking lot that was wide open, turned off all of the traction control devices and told her to drive the car as she had been driving it. And she couldn't make it out of the driveway before she had looped it around about three times. And that's when I explained to her that all the driver's aides were there to keep her safe. There was nothing wrong with her car. Jeez. I got a lot of good stories from the dealership. 
guys that would run their brakes all the way down to where there's just cooling fins. There's not even physical material for the pad to ride against. So funny vibration. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> the things that we learn on PPG so, Pyramid Podcast. I'm telling you. Real quick, uh, we're, we're in the chat. Did I see this? Um, Oh, Mark McElroy was asking about the Lyft EZR. It's a great link. Yeah, it's Napco right here. Looks yep. like it covers like every single. <clears throat> it, it works. It, it works from beginner all the way through intermediate, same as the Spider does. And cross yeah. country, huh? Yep. No, the EZR is a great wing. Again, yeah. I just wish that the manufacturers would offer these in a lightweight material. I, I've, I've honestly fallen in love with using the lightweight material wings. Yep, it's pretty good. It's amazing that my 24-meter wing weighs less than my 18-meter wing does. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be the new big thing. I think uh, it's just going to be a standard. They're not going to call it lightweight anymore. It's just going to be the new standard material because the, the, the thicker material doesn't seem to offer a benefit. They both seem to last the same amount. You know, well, I, I, I like, I really like the Apco wing, but I really don't like the canvas that they make it of. Apco <laughs> <laughs> might be the most heavyweight wing you could possibly buy. Well, you know, it's like giving a, a wing from back in 2010. You know, you fly that thing, and it's like, holy crap, what the hell? I'm sure it's going to be the same way 10 years from now. You know, 2030, people are going to, you know, jump on these, uh, you know, 2020 wings and go, what the hell was going on? These things are horrible. They're going to fly holograms in 2030. I was going to say, I can't wait for the future when wings are going to be made out of, like, cellophane material. Yeah. Be like flying a Mylar wing. You're like, yeah. My wing weighs eight ounces. <laughs> so, fun fact: the I, um, they had one of the uh, CEO guys or something, one of the engineers on one of the podcasts, and they were talking about the different uh, variations of the lift. And I think the EZR just has uh, more complicated risers, I believe, compared to the lift easy and the lift too easy. Too easy being just like a, a school wing. It's an A wing, yeah. Yeah, and the, as you can swap it out, so you can you know hop it up if you will, or upgrade it as you get more confident and uh, not have to spend a ton of money on a new wing. You can upgrade so your wing. The too. easy, the easy R and the lift easy are the same canopy. The difference between the two of them is the easy R has a longer trim range and a longer speed system range. Mm-hmm which you see right here um, with the riser system. And yeah, you've got your, okay. It doesn't even have a speed bar hook in for the EZ. Yep. So you, you get the full range system in the EZR. The much EZ larger is... trim range, uh, speed bar, Malian. Um, but it's the same wing. It's just a different set of risers. Mm-hmm. It's the same profile. It's not the same wing. It's the same profile. So the same wing, different risers can make the wing completely different. Yep. Exact same, only different. Interesting. Well, if you look at the A's, so they basically what they do is they reload the glider. So 
if you look at the system, you on the easy, you have split A's, B's, and then C's and D's. On the easy R, you have a single set of A's with a tip A, then your B's, C's, and D's. So they're just, they're resuspending the glider so that way more weight is held forward on the main A lines. How about this? Uh, triple hook-in points. That's interesting. Yep. So they give you that if you're flying a high or low or medium hang point. Hang point, so yeah. If you fly a high hang point, then you use that highest up hook in point. And then if you're flying a low or medium hang point, you use the lower ones. That way you don't – if you notice, it doesn't have two sets of pulleys like the ozone risers do. Right. So you can't run the pulleys down to a lower location. Okay. Also, you could uh, use it as torque compensation. Not the best way of accomplishing it, but I know that's how some wings do it. That is really uh, neat. I've never seen a triple hook uh, hook in points. Probably good for kiting too if you need it. You know, if your kiting harness has like higher hook in points, you can just use whichever hook in points, you know. So the, the other company that does that is uh, Sky. Sky Gliders will have dual hook in points as, mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. I think maybe Blackhawk does too because they're. Uh, yeah, the Velocity wings have multiple hook in points. Right. Velocity, they do that. They consider it a safety. So you're supposed to hook into the higher loop. And, and then, then the red loop, the red loop down below is considered the safety loop. In case the first loop were to fail or something. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy, but I mean, yeah. What's the possibility of that happening? Oh, Very maybe on, uh, maybe on swing arms. You, well, I think that I think that the real the big issue of it is it's it, a lot more of it's just peace of mind for a lot of people. Oh yeah. You know, I think mentality is is probably sixty percent of doing this sport is being in the right mind frame. So if you right. feel safe, if you feel like your gear is, is on a, another level of safety, then it just gives you a little bit more confidence, and more confidence means more success. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I like their, uh, their designs here. It's something new. It's not, you know, your standard uh, wing. wing uh... Uh, APCO's coming out with some nice stuff. Their newer yeah. stuff is very nice. They have a new designer. I forget his name, but he's doing a great job with the stuff. Mm -hmm. My favorite is still BGD. I, I, I don't care what anyone says. Bruce yeah, Goldsmith really... makes the nicest wings of anybody, in my opinion. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I see that they They're... have a stall recovery system. Have you heard of that? Yeah. So the, there's little baffles that slam shut when the wing wants to collapse, and it prevents the wing from deflating. What? Swing calls it the RAS system. Where do you see this? And they have. Where do you see this, Sean? Um, on the side uh, of all the uh, features. Double silicone. Are you looking at it right now? Share your yeah. screen. Yeah, um, I'm looking on mine. Let me share my screen. I'm leaving you guys. Oh hey. no, Linda. Yeah, my my doggy. They're making me crazy. Always a pleasure, Linda. Be good. I know. This is a fun show. Really? I, had, I had a blast. Hey, I, did. I can't wait till next Monday. It's gonna be don't, good. Get, don't get too worked up over those Cowboys, all right? Ah. <laughs> it's, it's been a good season. It's good. Even though a lot of the rodeos got canceled because of the stupid COVID stuff. It's good. Oh, that's what SRS means. I thought that was a supplemental restraint system. I thought it had airbags in it or something. Just kidding. Who knows? Okay. 
Bye-bye. You good, Linda. Good we'll talk to you. Have a good one. We'll probably be getting out of here pretty soon, too. Yeah. Okay. Good show, guys. I love Thank my you very team. much. So how does that work, uh, Kevin? What's that? Yeah, the SRS. The stall recovery system? Yeah. It, it has a set of baffles within the wing. So when, when the wing goes to depressurize, they snap shut, which keeps the wing air in the wing, keeps it inflated. Huh. Uh, it has a picture of how it works, I guess. Looks like it has two buttholes, too. Oh, it has a video. Oh, it has the track. Oh, I see. They're, they're using the tracking riser system, so it works really similar to the PK system. Okay, so there's something I'll have to check out here in the future. It looks pretty interesting. And Let me also tell you something. I recently uh, picked up a used wing. It's a little bit older, and it does right? not have buttholes, and it had sand in it. It was so hard getting the sand out of this wing without... Well, did you get an, an Acarus? What's that? I said, what did you get, an Acarus? I got a Spice. Spice, okay. Yeah. And uh, there's... Oh, okay. Look at those buttholes. They just Look at those the, buttholes. Just pours the sand out. Look at that. that is so, interesting. I, I could tell you a really fun trick to getting the sand out of your wing. What you want to do is take a car battery, jumper cables, and a piece of metal about I don't know, a foot or so long, connect only the negative terminal of the battery to the bar. And then when your wing hangs, run the bar across your wing and it'll take all the static electricity. It'll ground all the static out of your wing and all the sand will just fall right out of it. You'll be amazed. Interesting. This is a very interesting wing. I wish I would have known about this before I got my Gin Vantage. I told you I was an APCO dealer. You didn't listen to me. No, I know, but I don't <laughs> think I went to the, uh, There's lots of the website. Great stuff out there. Yeah, this guy was on uh, uh, our Parameter Nation, and uh, they just have a really good setup, I think. Their, their website is one of the best out there. As far as information, this well, is... APCO has been around for a real long time. One of the things that people don't know is APCO actually started the game doing hang gliders. Mm -hmm. So APCO built hang gliders in the 70s and 80s. And then they got into ram air wings. And because they're in Israel, their, their motto has been for a long time that the wing is supposed to be able to withstand 300 hours of Israeli desert. So that's one of the reasons uh, why APCO wings are so heavy and, and so robust is because they designed them for their environment. Gotcha. They were, they were known in the paragliding community for a real long time is trash bags. When you'd go to an SIV clinic and you show up with an APCO wing, a lot of times the instructor would either take you aside and offer you a different wing to use, or they would tailor the SIV for you using an APCO wing. They weren't necessarily the greatest tools to have in their earlier days. But like I said, they've gotten newer designers they've improved the company and within the you know recent last i'm going to call it the last 10 years everything it doesn't matter what manufacturer it is everybody has jumped leaps and bounds in making the the stuff better safer lighter easier to use easier to fly easier to kite even the more dynamic wings that are hard you know quote hard wings to launch and fly are way easier now 
than anything we would have found in 2012. What's the oldest wing that you would suggest somebody goes back to, to, to fly? I mean, you know, let's say that, you know, the wing itself is good and you replace all the lines and you got good risers. What's the, what's the oldest wing you'd want somebody to go back and, and fly? Like maybe for your students, they want to get a, a used wing. Nothing that's more than about two years old. So one of the big things that, that we have to remember in this community is the wing is made out of nylon. Nylon is made out of plastic. Essentially, your wing is plastic. What happens to everything that's made out of plastic? At some point, it loses the moisture content. At some point, it loses the, the petroleum content. It evaporates. And then the plastic, i.e. the material of the wing, will degrade. You can go online if you want to search it out, and you can find out what happens to older wings. You can see guys take them, and they just tear them like tissue paper. The wing will have 40 hours. It's been sitting in a closet for 15 years. He pulls it out thinking it's going to be, you know, the same wing as it was 15 years ago, just 15 years old. And as he opens it, it just tears like tissue paper. That's like with my, um, with my Roser 3, you know, I've owned it from the very beginning. Uh, it is uh, exactly one year old. Uh, with 300 hours on it, it completely failed, you know, everything except porosity. Needs new lines on it uh, mm -hmm. because they are, are so, um, they, they snap but the life it expectancy The life expectancy of a wing is 300 hours. So if you got 300 hours out of it before needing to replace the lines, you got the full dynamic time frame that you paid for to get from the wing. Exactly. And uh, with uh, new lines put on it, it's basically a new wing. And they said you can go for another 300 hours. Yeah, as long as it doesn't deteriorate for some reason, whether it's the sun or the ground or a mud puddle or catching fish in a river. I mean, That was know. so funny. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> So it's never got wet, never dunked it or anything. And uh, that's one of the things I just want to say to people that are out there. Um, if you get a 2019 wing that somebody says that, oh, you know, I, ju I just sent it off. Um, everything is good. And, uh, you know, just give me 3000 for it and it's awesome. Well, you know, thank God I'm not a, a douchebag because this wing looks beautiful, but it failed everything because of the lines probably because of all the, um, the high G's and all the SIVs uh, stuff that I did on it. They don't Just last very fine. long. Huh? 300 hours, 300 hours is a lot of time to ask of the lines. <clears throat> really what happens is your D lines will shrink and then it changes the characteristic of the glider and makes it more prone to stall. Which is why, which is why it was very difficult to launch it at the, at the very end um, of that first year, it was very difficult to launch. Now I got this uh, uh, this Gin Vantage, and you know it just it just so lifty. Maybe it launches maybe, itself. Pretty much. So I wonder, with the new lines on it, will my Roadster be more lifty again? Is it is it just because I I just really wore out the lines over the course it of the should, year? Should if it's all retrimmed back to factory original, it should feel the same as the day you bought it. Yeah. And porosity is still good, so I still got a lot of life on it. I can't see myself ever selling the wing because I'd rather just pay, you know, 700 bucks and have them reline everything. And I got a new wing again for another 300 hours, or at least for another year. 
Well, I was going to say at the at the end of the next three hundred hours, you're going to pull out the scissors and the sewing machine and turn it into windstalks. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be my kiting my my kiting wing for for students in the future. Did anyone ever see the video that Tucker did where he talked about cutting up his old free ride and sending yeah. a little piece to all of it? Did he ever do that, or what did he do with that wing? I don't. I don't know. I sent him I a message and I told him, I said, if he actually does cut it up and he actually goes through all that effort, I want the toggle that he had that he taped the freaking magnet back on too. I want to yeah. turn, I want to, I want to use it for the pull start handle on my motor. <laughs> well, that's, that's a good idea. I feel like that's sacrilege to cut up a perfectly good wing. I think so too, because <clears throat> so many people can kite with it. Yeah. You could benefit well, from it. And, the thing is, mm -hmm. is you, you, you have to take into account, that what he's doing is he's actually saving someone's life because what'll happen is some idiot. And I don't mean to like be mean about it, but some idiot will get that wing. And even though they were told full well that it's worn out, they'll still go try to use it because it was Tucker's wing. And then it'll be out of trim and it'll be old and they'll wind up getting into a lockdown spiral and smashing into the ground, and then Tucker will feel responsible for right. someone dying because he that gave away a wing. You could say that about so much else, though. He, oh, sure, sure, sure. Somebody's not, trying to do a barrel roll like Tucker, you know. Oh, yeah. But There's I'm only so saying, much you like, can do to protect the world from themselves, you know. But it's, but it's really easy. Instead of giving away one wing to one person, if I cut it up into freaking 10,000 pieces and 10,000 people get a small little square, it's the same principle. Yeah, who's gonna treasure, nobody's going to treasure that little square. That would be cool to have for a minute, and then it's going to find its way to the trash bin. Like, Right, but it's still neat. And, and, oh, and you're right, you're right, Kevin. If someone does get hurt or killed on that wing, he won't feel responsible. Next I time. mean, I can't, I can't even tell you how many times I've had different people, I don't want to call them students, but just different people that come to a kiting clinic or whatever it is, and they've they've got a wing they got from Craigslist, you know, and it's some 1998. I don't even know the manufacturer name or something. Yeah. And and you know, and they want to go to the very top of the highest dune they could find, and they they just have no concept of what they're getting themselves into. Sadly, there's over you know a million people that subscribe to Tucker's channel, which means that one in a million of those people could possibly be that moron that wants to go run off the top of the biggest dune without having experience. Yep. It's just, you know, from, from my standpoint, I don't want to see anyone buy oh. a wing used ever if they can help it. That reminds I mean, me, I started to say this earlier. I overheard a guy talking today, standing at one of the counters further down from me about paramotoring. And he was like, yeah, I flew a paramotor, uh, my buddies. And so I, I kind of was listening and I hopped in and I was like, that's, that's cool. Um, you know, did you get training or did you, you know, how'd you go about doing it? Did you research it at all? He's like, Oh yeah, I got training. Um, my buddy gave me full training about 10 minutes before I went up. Um, and no, but he was being completely serious about it. You know, he, he talked me through everything I needed to know. And this guy thought that he was being safe about it. And it just goes to show you, I don't know. He said that his butt was puckered so much and he would never do it again because it was so scared. And it just goes to show, you know, that your level of preparedness is going to define how safe you feel. Um, and that kind of, I, th I feel like that
experience for him because he, he doesn't want to do it again because he wasn't comfortable. You know, he thought it was, he said it was something he would, you know, wanted to do once and never has the desire to do again because he was so nervous and whatever about it. Um, but if he would have gone about it, spent a little bit more time researching and kiting and, you know, doing some homework, it could have been something, you know, a lot more enjoyable. But I thought that was hilarious. He's, oh, yeah. yeah. Spent a the, full 10 minutes, you know, going over training with me. Some of the, before, uh, you know, in the field before I launched. So he yeah. went over everything. Everything, you know, he needed to know ten, in 10 minutes. So it was just like. Squeeze the little stick and run real, real fast. And before too long, try not to crash into the trees and the bushes. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, some of the highest hit videos are the self-training paramotors. It's like, look, I yeah. self-trained, you know, um, in one day, here I am flying. Um, I've seen that, but I don't see their channel going where that they continue to fly and they're having a good time either. Well, I've seen a lot of people that get started that wash out fairly quick. And it's generally because they don't collect the skills to be able to fly in enough days that they can justify the sport. So, I mean, when you figure you're spending roughly $10,000, maybe a little more, depending on what training you go get, if you go get training, mm -hmm. then, you know, it's a large investment. So if I spend, call it $10,000 on getting into paramotoring to find out I can only use this damn thing once every two or three months. And as we all know, this is a currency sport. So if you don't do it for two or three months, you are definitely not going to have the same feel and dexterity as you had when you trained three months ago, True. which is why I, I often have to tell students, you know, I'm happy to train you today if you want to train today. But the best move is to get yourself in a position where you can pay for training, figure out where your skill level is going to be coming out of training. So that way we get you the right wing, the right motor, and get you set up for the greatest success for longevity. Because that's the key element is it's not about spending 10 grand because we all know, even if you buy a brand new wing and a brand new motor and turn around and sell it tomorrow, having never broke in the motor and never ever even used a wing, you're going to lose three or $4,000 just straight away. True. Even if it's brand new and never been used, you're not going to get full face value. You paid for any of it. Almost half a million views on this one where Zach tries to learn to fly. Um, and the guy that helped him out in the comments down below got so much flack for, for helping him uh, instead of having him go to, to a trainer. I mean, matter of fact, I remember watching this. He didn't even, just, he didn't even want to but, uh, connect the chest strap. I mean, this is the one, right? He didn't want to connect the chest. Yeah, up. that's it. Um, I don't even know. He if wanted he to just like zip tie things out of the way. He was like, oh, it's all right. I don't need that strap. We'll just duct tape it out of the way. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he had a few more zip ties. It's fine. He actually paid for it with Bitcoin, I believe, is something else they mentioned. So, wow. you know, he kind of got it on a whim, um, which, you know, whatever, it's each his own. I wonder if this guy's still fine. I wonder. I wonder too. That'd he be won a, the, uh, a guy to get on the, the show slalom, right here. He won the slalom championships last month. You didn't hear? What's 
I say he won the slalom championships last month. You didn't hear? Yeah. I'm sure he did that. You know, it's people like that that actually have, like, what I call the stupid factor that are willing to go fly that kind of hard and that kind of stupid. Yeah. You, you know, it's like, just like I said, you know, my wings at 2019, I used it for a year. Um, I'd fly every morning and every evening and all the weekends, daytime uh, flying, midday flying and all that stuff. And I wore it out in one year. I can't imagine someone getting a wing from eBay or someplace out there that's only, you know, a couple years old. I mean, if I, I mean, if I had this wing for a couple more years, I can't even imagine how tore up it'll be. Not because, you know, I do stupid stuff with it just because of how often I use it. I mean, I just use the hell of a wing. I'm, apparently, I'm going to have to buy a wing a year. Okay, no big deal. It's like three or $4,000 for a new wing. Hey, I get to try something new every year. Who cares? So the, the thing I've found that works the best for that is having more than one wing. So if you suit the conditions, like I was saying earlier, you suit the conditions for the day based on the wing you have. Mm -hmm. So if it's a higher, like you posted the other day, we were chatting and you showed us that the winds were just whipping around on the softball. <laughs> that, you know? was, that was some wicked wind. I tried. I, I, I well, tried. I'm just saying, like, hypothetically, if, if you had, uh, you know, a, I'm just going to spitball, but if I say if you had a 20-meter wing and not a 26-meter wing, that might have been a flyable day. Right. Oh, it, it, was, it was flyable um, with, with my 28. I had it up in my head and I was – I was uh, kiting it before I uh, put the, the drone up. As soon as I put the drone up, I think I had the, um, what do you call it when people are watching itis? Oh, you just get on the camera and you brain I, fart. I think that that's what it was. It's like, all right, now I got uh, a camera up there and I'm going to do this really good. And of course it went up and then, you know, it whipped around and the uh, lines went around my neck. I'm like, okay, good. I'm going to be strangled on camera. This is great. So, <laughs> So, you know, it's just one of those things that when I'm by myself, no problem. As soon as I put a camera on, you know, it's, it's a little, a little show off. I just like, look, I can, I can kite in high winds. Who does that? Who, who, you know, I did something similar when I was turning around, the risers knocked my hat off of my head. Yeah. So I kited downwind about 10 feet, turn around, face forward. And then as I was walking back forward, I let go of both brakes reached down, grabbed my hat, put it back on my head, then got the brakes back in my hand and kept kiting. Just, you know, for the you sake really of being able to just... Taking it and doing a, a tip touch and come up back up and doing a tip touch. That was really good. I, I, I thought that was pretty good. You're a pretty good kiter, dude. I'm, I'm all right. I know there's a lot of people that are a lot better than I am. I'm not, I'm not the master of kiting for sure, but I do all right with it. Sean, um, what's his name? Starts with the N, Sean. Sean Nafker. Yeah, he is a, a kiter. He's a. I Sean does know. probably more kiting than he does flying. Honestly, he I that guy not loves to kite. Not probably he does. I've spent flyings with Sean where he'll make like one or two flights and spend, you know, twenty hours kiting. It's I think he legit enjoys kiting more than he does flying. So that's that's his uh, prerogative. <laughs> rather kite than fly i think and i mean like i was like i pointed out to many people this sport is only the base of many sub hobbies that you get to have you get to become a meteorologist you get to become a mechanic 
you get to have a, a selection of tools that you probably or maybe didn't have before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get to start collecting propellers and microphones and speakers and radio. One of the things that I think that I really like about this is using it to go places. I've jumped on and done more XCs since that, since that first SIV course than I ever have. I mean, I take off and I fly 50 miles someplace, go do something and fly back. Um, I hop city to city and city and, and I'm just enjoying the hell out of uh, going places on my paramotor where most people I know they like to fly around their LZ and land in you know 20 minutes they're, they're done I fill up my my entire five gallons you know and try to go two to three hours of flight and see where I can go and uh, even stopping getting gas along the way so I think a Nicarus race might be something I might want to do in the future what kind of wing would you uh, suggest for that something a lot smaller than what you're using now why because you're going to get a lot more speed. Do we want more speed? I mean, if I can dump trim. We also get more safety, Sean. If you're going to, because you're going to be flying through the midday, so you want to be higher loaded, and then you want to be faster. So you're going to want to fly like a 24 meter, not something drastically I'm, smaller, but I'm just over a little bit This one right now, I mean, at 265. Yeah, but you're you're cutting out sugar, man. You're going to be like I'm going to drop a lot. You're pounds right. in no time. You're going to be looking just like that picture you sent us from 10 years ago in like a week. If I were you, I would start, I would think maybe a 26, Sean. I would would go down to a 26. I'd go from a 28 to 26. 24 is kind of a a jump because you are a little bit bigger, but I think you would see a a pretty fun increase from a 28 to 26 on any of the wings that you're already flying on a, a Roadster or Spider or a Vantage. But, you know, five gallons of gas is another 30 pounds, you know. Absolutely. You, think, you, you always fill the tank up, too. Yes, fuel, fuel, fuel is what we, con- we call consumable weight. So when you take off, you'll be heavy. But when you're light, you'll be out. So it, it's, it, fuel is not an account that you can account for unless you're grossly adding lots of stuff to yourself. Like when Tucker was flying, he had that big bag on his lap. And then he had the fuel bladder and, 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 and. And then even at that, he went from a 16-meter free ride to an 18-meter free ride to just carry the extra weight. But he didn't go up to something like a 22 or a 24 because you still, I mean, it's still a race by all intents purposes. So you still need all the speed you can get. Mm -hmm. And when you're trying to cross long distances that potentially could be bearing you with headwinds or crosswinds, you want to have the greatest amount of penetration possible. See, and that's the only thing right now um, is I enjoy the canopy that I have and the stability that I have knowing that it's there. Um, Like I said, when I went down to that 23 meter A-wing, it was like, I mean, it it was more carby than I I was ever used to. Mm -hmm. But then again, that was You get used to it though. That's the thing is it starts out being a little bit of a handful. Mm -hmm. And after you put three or four flights on it, it becomes fun. I mean, the first time I flew my 18 meter, it was like, oh, I'm not sure because the smallest wing I had flown up to that point was a 21 meter free ride. So going from a 21 meter free ride down to an 18 meter was like, well, that's a big jump. And it turned out that all of the hype and all the fear I had in my head was all for nothing 
the only thing that I had that was anything different was a little bit more weight shift authority, or should I say the wing wanted more weight shift. Mm -hmm. So if I was making harder turns, I really needed to put weight shift into those turns to make the wing work the way it wanted to. Really? But because because um, this gin, I, I seem to uh, be able to roll and do wing overs, you know, just so easy by, I mean, it just feels like it carves so well. It's, it's not about easy. It's about the way the wing feels. Mm -hmm. So when you start moving down on a smaller wing like that, because you're, you're changing the dynamic loading, when you start rolling the wing real hard, if you don't weight shift and let the high side of the wing open up its angle of attack and maintain flight, what happens is it becomes so loaded that it wants to actually tuck. I haven't tucked yet. I know how to keep it loaded. Well, I mean, we're, you're, we're talking two totally different calibers of wing. I'm talking about 18 meter. You're talking about gotcha. 28 meter. So if you go down that small and load it that high, it becomes hyper stable to the point where it's on the verge of collapse almost. Gotcha. And if you add the weight shift, then you, you know, you're, you're dynamically flying the wing how it wants to be flown. It's like when people talk about ceramic brakes on a car. They're great. If you get them hot and run them hard, but if you're just a standard everyday driver who doesn't use hard braking, then having ceramic brakes is pointless. Same thing like flying a big wing or a small wing. Mm -hmm. It just depends on the tool that you're trying to grasp. So when you move down in size, you have to be more of a dynamic pilot. When you come in for a landing with a, with a you know, smaller wing like that, it comes in hotter, right? So how do initially, you believe? Initially, yes. So you do come into the ground and with a whole lot more speed. But the, the weird part is that you have to wrap around in your head is as you feed the flare, it still slows down and stalls at a jog. So it's, it's kind of this mental mind mess up that it gives you because you're like, oh, I'm on this small, fast wing. I'm going to come in fast. Oh, God. But if you just use patience and just use the technique you've been trained to use, mm -hmm it still slows down and still stalls and lands at a jog. I noticed that on my gin, I have to do a wrap to have full flare authority. Shorten your brakes by an inch and a half. I could, but when I'm flying, I like to, I mean, cause the full trim range, uh, it works. So I just know that when I come in, pull, pull trims in, do a wrap when I come in, I can, as I'm coming in, because I do the foot drag. I like to do the foot drag to a, to a, mm -hmm. to, to a um, landing. I love that. I don't know what it is, but be able to just do a foot drag at any angle that I want to. I don't care which way the wind is coming. Well, if it's not too high, I can pretty much go any way that I want to go exactly to where I want to pinpoint, cut the motor, and, and, and just fire authority, and just stop wherever. Yeah, sure. I love that. I never have to worry about, um, well, when I go to my, for my P3, I think that I have to cut it at 500 feet and then come in and, uh, and hit with it. You have to spot land five times within 20 feet. Yeah. So I might have to start working on that a little bit. Throw your wing bag out and just shut your motor off and do it. It's not that hard. Yeah, I like to put a spot down there and, and come in on idle. That way, when I hit it, it's good. Just punch the throttle, go up again, try it again. That way, you know, I don't have to so sit and set up. Just be, just be weary of the fact that your prop will suck the wing bag right up off the ground into That's it. That's why I want to do the spray paint thing. 
Yeah, that's why I wanted to do a spray paint thing. You know, it was like just hit the spots, but not use the wing bag. I never want to use a wing bag doing that, especially with um, the possibility of it being, you know, sucked up and stuff. It just. Well, that's why I said shut the motor off. Like, actually do the procedure the way it's supposed to be done. Climb oh. up, kill, set your wing bag out in the field, mm-hmm. climb up to 500 feet, kill the motor, and then glide down, land on the wing bag, lay your wing out, take back off climb up i mean the only way to get good at doing it is to do it so because if you have the motor in the back of your head the whole time then the motor will be in the back of your head the whole time if you just shut it off and become a glider you don't have an option but to hone the skill of being a glider that's a good that's a good thought it's just you know being able to you know hit that spot then punch it and just kind of do like a touch and go but that's the one that's the one thing i'm envious of not having an electric start motor i want to be able to land with it off and then just be like, bring, burn, just go right That's, back up. Again. That will be my next one. I mean, you know, um, I've been putting on some serious, serious hours on my motor and, uh, you know, doing 20 hours a week on a good week. Every six weeks, I got to do almost 100 hour maintenance. Are you, what are you doing for the 100 hour maintenance? Are you just doing the rings? I'm doing the whole um, 100 hour maintenance kit. I'm just, just redoing the whole thing even if it doesn't need it even the reeds if they they look like they're good i'm just going to replace them because they're not that expensive i'm just just redoing the whole thing i mean why not right make sure sure that my make sure that my motor is good it will take care of me because i'm taking care of it it's it's, (laughs) it's only an aircraft that that does not require an inspection so if if it doesn't require a yearly inspection, why would you want to not do a yearly inspection yourself? I want to. I, I want to make sure that I'm not flying on these on these XCs I like to go on and uh, end up, you know, landing out someplace trying to call my wife, hey, come pick me up. That doesn't well, sound you know fun. What's, you know what's interesting about that, though, is when you read through the FAR 103, we are subject at any point in time for an administrator or designee to give our aircraft an inspection for airworthiness, even though it does not require an airworthiness certificate. I mean, if it's up in the air flying. No, they could stop you from taking off. Like if you're at an airport and you lay out your wing and you got your motor on your back and you're clipped in and you're ready to go, the guy can walk over and say, stop. I want to, I want to do an inspection. Who, they can actually, who, who would do that? Uh, FAA administrator or designee, as it's written in the FARs. I've never heard of anyone doing it, but it mm-hmm. has written in there that they can do an airworthiness inspection on your equipment at any time because you're an ultralight. They would have to have, like, um, what, a, a, a badge or something that says who they are? and Most people have a business card is how they do it. <laughs> Because, I mean, that would be so weird for someone to come over and say, hey, I want to inspect your, your, your paramotor. It's like, well, who are you and why do you think that you can you know, do this? I, I've, I've had the, the Department of Transportation kind of do it to me once. Mm-hmm. And it was more of a, I just want to check it out and see what it, what's going on here. Because the guy was super unfamiliar with paramotoring. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he's been in aviation for over 20 years. And it was one of the first times in his life he's actually seen one on the ground in front of him. I mean, he's seen so it's more curiosity than actually. Yeah, it doing- wasn't like I want to just go through and scrutinize your machine. It was just more like I, I just want to see what it is you have going here. Which, I think which is what seen- a lot of people want to see. They want to see it on the ground. They see it up there. It's like, what does it really look like? 
Yeah, exactly. You know, they see it on the car. I think we all, we've all been here at this one. You, like, pull up to a stoplight, and the guy pulls up next to you and is like, what in the frig is that thing? <laughs> yeah. Or it's just the look on his face is like, oh. you know, or, or it's like, what is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I came out of the grocery store last night on my way home, and there was uh, ab about four or five people surrounding the back of my car that were all staring and looking and trying to figure out. And I come walk, I'm like, that thing's pretty cool, huh? <laughs> and then naturally, you know, everyone wants to know, how does it work? How, you know, how, how do you do it? What is, you know, it looks like, it looks like a backpack. And, you know, you have to explain to people, you're like, well, you wear it like a backpack, et cetera, and so forth. And that's what I call it a backpack. Done, you know, four, four of the six people, they all tell you how they want to get into it tomorrow. So, is that how you? Is that you how you fly, I'm sure you understand this one, Sean. Is where you fly over a small town and people then see you at a gas station or a grocery store, and they go, "Oh, I saw you over at my uncle's place last week," or "I saw you at my mom's house," or whatever it was. Yeah. And now I see you at the gas station. Oh my God! I have to ask. I have to look. I gotta touch it and feel it and spin the prop once around halfway or something. Yep. And I mean, that's why I say it's like just being a paramotor pilot is superhero complex. I don't need to go do crazy stunts. I just fly around town. People see you and then they want to come and ask questions. And it's just awesome. It's one of those sports. No one, no one comes up and says, hey, what kind of skateboard you got? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if it's really cool when it has lights and stuff. Hey, when you're just a guy riding a skateboard down the street, you're just a guy riding a skateboard down the street. When you come fly a paramotor down the block, people are like, whoa, what is that? That was that was either really cool or it really annoyed me. <laughs> it's always <laughs> one or the other. It really is. And most people, I mean, I'd say um, more, more closer to 100% than not, think that they are the most in incredible things ever. Unless you live on a sod farm on the north side, and hear these things running all the time. And you're like, dude, I'm getting tired of this. First day was great. You know, this five months into it, I'm, I'm tired of it. So that's why we have three different places that we fly from. So that way we rotate our noise making from different locations. And we're not always in the same place, pissing off the same people. I mean, the fine. nice thing about my new training site is it's literally within eye shot of the Woodburn NHRA drag strip. So the, 11,000 horsepower dragster puts out way more noise than my paramotor ever will. So they, they generally don't get too upset with us where we're at. That's good. And I learned a trick. This is, this is a cool trick. So if you go by the dollar store and you buy two or three bags of those little parachuting army men. A lot of people are doing that. I know where you're going. And you stick those in your side pocket when you're flying and the kids come running out waving at you. Reach in your pocket and throw two or three of those things down to the kids. Oh, they'll never forget you. You will be the, the coolest guy they ever met in their life that they never actually met. Unless the parachute thing didn't open up and hit them in their eye. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be careful. You're not, allowed, you're not allowed to pose a hazard to people or property on the ground. Exactly. Exactly. I'm going to put uh, my Instagram and my YouTube handle on the, the parachute fabric. All right. It's a good way to, to get your. Uh, yeah, until it hits somebody's windshield and breaks it and you're like oh look at this guy that did this <laughs> i'm not even gonna try that i've i know other people that do that uh some you of know the, the one guy that always that i always think of came. every single time you guys bring that up or anyone brings it up and i know it's totally unrelated though is james sutherland 
because he's got that big Charlie Soap logo on his wing. And it's like, you can't mistake it. You see that big Charlie Soap logo, you're like, hey, there we go. There's, there's little James. <laughs> yep. That's a pretty awesome business, by the way. Shameless plug. If you guys need to get the right cleaning supplies, Charlie Soaps has got the right stuff for you. There's good products, healthy, natural, all that good stuff. Nice. You, don't, you don't really want to use soap on your wing, do you? Not on your wing, no. Nope. Nothing more than just water, right? It, just rinse it and dry it off out of the sun. Don't dry it in the sun. And if you want to go from a 25-meter wing to, a say, a 20-meter wing, just stick it in the dryer for an hour, and it'll come out. <laughs> for an problem. hour? <laughs> for just a couple minutes? You don't need that much heat. <laughs> uh, what, what's the, what's, okay, let's just say that people want to progress on a wing, since we're talking about progressions on a wing. And let's just say that this person, I don't know, me with a 28-meter, um, I could go down to, because I'm flying a B, if I went down to still on a B wing down to 26, that would be a very um, smart progression on dropping down to another wing, right? You wouldn't want to go from a 28 to a 24. It depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for more performance, like as in more performance in the, the, the grand, bold, and italicized way, right. then no, not really. A, a single size difference between going from a 28 to a 26 on the same wing, like say we're hypothetically just talk about the Roadster. Okay. So if you're going to go from a 28 to a 26 on the Roadster, the only real difference you're going to notice is a little bit more speed on landing, a little bit more speed on takeoff, mm -hmm. but your brake pressure is actually going to be stiffer because you're going to be higher loaded. So it's going to have more pressure. <clears throat> right. It's going to have a quicker response because of more pressure. And less likely to collapse, but more violent on the reinflation. Correct. So, because you're highly loaded, it's going to be less likely to collapse. But uh, if you've never collapsed a wing on purpose, like through an SIV, and uh, then let it out after only five seconds, the reinflation is pretty violent. And sounds uh, like a shotgun. Sounds like a shotgun goes off at your hip. It, it really is. And then the G-forces, because once it catches air, then it, you know, flies out of it. That flying out of it, you, you might be going 60, 70 miles an hour. And with, with G-forces, it is the most incredible feel. I don't know about scary. It's just, it's intense. It's like a roller, it's like a roller coaster. Um, so the, the way I like the to refer to it, me. <laughs> I like to refer the first to it time. as saying, it checks off the question mark. So um, if, you don't, if you don't know what it feels like <clears throat> when the wing collapses and it bangs back open, it checks off that question mark. Because if you've never had it happen and you've ever wondered how it feels, as soon as it's done and over with and you go, oh, wow, it more times than not will reassure your confidence in your wing. Exactly. Because most times it'll fix itself before you actually had any opportunity to do anything to it. I had to physically just almost hang myself to pull those uh, lines down to collapse the darn thing. I, I mean, I know that my wing is solid. So how many wraps did you have to take before you got your wing to stall, full stall? Um, I wrapped it three times, pulled it all the way down, and my arms were shaking trying to keep it there, and it still went full stall. And that was the, that was the Gen Vantage 3. That was my new wing. Nice. 
and uh, I it was so hard to get it to stall. I so, mean, I couldn't I couldn't stall it. So I'm I'm always wondering. It's like when I see these these videos of people going up or or flying and then pulling down and stalling. It's like that 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 I can't even imagine doing it on a new wing. Maybe an older wing. So one of the things that I always like to remind myself when I watch videos of people doing dynamic stuff uh-huh. is when they fly a quote freestyle or acro glider. Right. The acro gliders are trimmed very slow to start with. Mm-hmm. They're not fast wings and they're designed to fly just beyond the stall point, which is why you can watch them just do a jam jam stall and then go right up into a heli or something because right. the wing's already at trim for slow. Oh, that's how they do that heli. Okay, that <clears> makes <throat> more sense. So you come to a stall and right when the wing is going to go full stall, you don't let the wing go into a decompression stall or a backslide. And then you let your hands up slowly, but one hand at a time. And you let one half of the glider rotate while you maintain a stall in the other half of the glider. And then you watch them stall the whole thing, and then they'll let it up and go the other way. Helis is a very, very, very dangerous maneuver because you can get twisted very quickly. And then once you get twisted, it becomes almost impossible to fix yourself. That's when you got to throw. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, to, to me, I think the most acro that I want to do, um, that I do all the time, I love pulling big ears. And um, I've even done um, foot dragging with big ears. I pull big ears, come down, and foot drag. I mean, there's no reason people need to fear of 25 and 25% collapse on a wing because – it's hard to keep it there. I mean, I have to pull hard with gloves to keep those uh, down. Doing a 50% inflation or deflation. I got to yank those things down and I got to hold it because as soon as I let it up at all, it wants to pop out of my fingers and go back open. It wants to just blow open with all of your body weight. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. It takes so much to collapse a wing. And uh, unfortunately, you know, a lot of beginners or newbies, they, that's their biggest fear is a wing collapsing because they see these people with these high performance wings doing these acro stunts or trying to go around cones or something and the wing just collapses and falls. That's not gonna happen to somebody with a B or with an A or B wing that's just flying level, enjoying looking all over the place. It just like old boy that took that full frontal five feet off the water at the slalom competitions and somehow didn't go swimming. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. Was yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is amazing. These wings want to fly. Um, you ask yourself, is that skill or is that just the wing going back to work? I think it's the wing. I mean, you know, like, like you said, these new wings are designed so much better than these older wings. And even like you said, you wouldn't want anybody to buy a wing that's, you know, older than 2018. Yeah, in, in just two years' time, a lot a lot as I mean, just two years, a lot's advanced in technology, let alone the age. Like I said, even if it wasn't used, if it was stored in an air-conditioned room inside yeah. a house, it's still plastic at the end of the day, and it's going to degrade. Yeah, That's why they say, even if you didn't fly your wing, its inspection period is one year or... 100 hours or 200 hours or whatever the manufacturer recommends 
but they yep. always give you a time and hour increment. Yep. Because so if, if your wing sits for a year, it may not pass the porosity test. It may have degraded in that time to the point where it's no longer safe. Not yeah. because it was flown, but because it was stored or maybe stored improperly. A lot of people will keep their gear in the garage. Maybe their garage isn't climate controlled and they're in the desert. So in the summertime, it's 140 in their garage. And then in the wintertime, it's 29 in the garage. And those big temperature swings wear that plastic out really yep. quick. Yep. I, I never <clears throat> leave my, my wing in the garage. It's always in the air-conditioned um, place. You know, I had to take I, the dog I, out, guys. All right. I'll have fun. Have you know, there's a, there's a lot of people that, uh, that you know, leave their, their gear in the car a lot of times. They, the, only oh. thing they take, the only thing they take out is maybe their motor, and they leave their motor in the Look garage. Look at all but, these people that are getting their cars broken into and their wings uh, stolen. Oh, I yeah. Mean, I, I hear terrible. that all the time, unfortunately. It's like, why would you leave your wing in the car in the first place? If you're going flying in the morning, why would I take it out? Put it, park it in the garage. I mean, I, I, I mean, seriously, I mean, it's, it's no big deal. It's like, lift it up, bring it in the house, put it on the, on the floor. I, I just no, can't I mean, imagine. I can honestly say it's, it's happened to me. I came home from a kiting clinic a long week at the coast. I got home late. It was like a little after 10. And I unloaded the motor and the stuff that was on the outside of the car, locked everything and said, oh, I'll come back in the morning to you know unload it and clean everything up. And when I came out in the morning, <laughs> somebody cleaned it out for me. So it just goes to show, even if it's 10 o'clock and you're tired, take the extra 10 minutes and just drag the expensive stuff into the house. A car is not difficult to break into, unfortunately. And, and your insurance company doesn't cover the wing or the motor. They consider it an aircraft. So if you right. don't have a separate insurance policy for your wing or your motor, the insurance will not cover you. You'll be SOL. Um, what, what is a good insurance company that you'd recommend? Is there any major ones that we could look into uh i i contacted my local i use state farm insurance and i contacted my local guy and he sat down and wrote me up a sub what do they call it a supplemental rider for 110 dollars a year and that covers up to how many thousand dollars worth of stuff up to fifteen thousand. but i had to give him pictures and all the information for the wing and the motor and all the stuff that I actually have. Mm -hmm. So that way, if it's stolen, then they, you know, they, they basically, they recompensate me for what is lost. It's not just a free for all for, Oh, well, just go pick some shit and we'll pay for it. Gotcha. <clears throat> um, would you recommend anybody buying any used wing or would you recommend going and just getting a new wing? Uh, no matter what, I mean, well, why would anybody buy a used wing? So a, a lot of people, they, they'll get used gear just because they're on a budget, right? Like mm -hmm. we said before, this is, is an expensive sport. It's right. not, you know, at, at 10 grand, I wonder why more inner city kids aren't participating. <laughs> so, you know, w with that being said, it's really easy to think to yourself, well, if a brand new wing is 3,500 bucks and this guy's selling a used one for 2,500 bucks, I'm going to save a thousand dollars, right? Right. Well, the difference is the guy they're buying it from might be a, a poor pilot who that that wing might only have 10 hours but it's got 25 hours of getting the crap beat out of it on the ground or the pilot's not saying how much uh, how many hours it really has it really I mean, has yeah that, that right. could be another that could be another thing is it's misrepresented mm -hmm. so 
when you know the the flip side of that is if you're buying used gear from somebody who's reputable so if there's somebody within the community and like i'll, I'll use our friend john rippa as an example because our mm -hmm. friend john rippa has a ton of wings and all kinds of gear and he's constantly selling wings and stuff and mm -hmm. buying wings and stuff Right. So for that sake, knowing the person, knowing the way they treat their gear and knowing the way that it's used and stored, it's not a problem to say, call up John, ask him, you know, about a wing that he has listed and maybe buy a wing from him because you know the person and the way that they treat it. Or it might be Bucky, no name. We have no idea who he is or how he treats any of his stuff. And it's a roll of the dice as to what you're going to get. Right. So buying used a lot of times is about where you buy the used and who you buy it from. My advice as an instructor is always buy a new wing if and when possible. Yes. Because that's what's going to be the most longevity of your flying career is what you hang from. You don't hang from the motor. You don't hang from the harness. You hang from the wing. The wing is what flies. Right. The motor can stop working your glider. The wing still has to work. We can't have a period of time where the wing doesn't work. That's the worst possible scenario. So if the wing has to do all the work, then we want the wing to be in the best condition it can be in. So if I see people that are on a budget and they're trying to do this without buying all brand new stuff, what I recommend is a brand new wing and then find a budget, you know, what I call a budget motor. Right. Because you can find someone who has – last year's power to fly or last year's maverick or last year's star seed or whatever it will be and instead of paying seven thousand or eight thousand for a brand new motor you're actually only going to pay you know four thousand right. for something that's only a year old and if you're a halfway decent mechanic ordering a 125 dollar piston kit and a 35 dollar set of reeds and a 30 dollar carb kit means that you know that it has a brand new top end, it has brand new carb seals, it has brand new reeds, and with that much being done and a proper break-in, you should see 100 hours out of your motor without having to do much or any real work on it other than maybe a little tuning or adjusting from time to time. Exactly. Exactly. And then with that being said, the motor itself is modular. So if you buy a motor today and then decide six months from now, I really like that frame or I really like that harness. It's not generally a problem unless you have a flat top to go and, and get sure. a different harness and refit the harness that fits you better or change the frame. Because, you know, if I, don't, I want a new paramotor, but I don't want to spend eight grand on a new paramotor. So I can spend, say, 1900 bucks on a brand new Evo RS2, brand new for this year, hot stuff. And all I got to do is 1900 bucks for the frame, 400 bucks for that brand new Dudek power seat comfort harness that's plush and beautiful. And so for 2400 bucks, I put my motor on this frame, and now I have a brand new paramotor. Yep. Yeah, a lot and of people, so, they, don't, they don't realize that, you know, they can put any motor they want to on any frame. And uh, pretty much, you know, any throttle or any harness, you know. I right. Mean, it's it's all modular. You, you can fit and finish it to your liking. And if it doesn't fit or if it doesn't work how you want to, you don't have to be married to it. Because 
that engine is just an engine. It'll work with any frame, like you said, mm -hmm. and you can just move to another frame or move to another harness. With the wing, it's a wing. You're not going to pull out the scissors and change its shape. You know what I mean? You don't it, want it to, is, at least. It is what you bought. So yeah. that's why I always recommend that somebody gets a nice new wing because that's kind of your fixed item. And then the motor, the frame, the harness, all of that is modular and can be changed to fit you as you grow through the sport. What's the cheapest wing that's out there? About $2,600 brand new, right? Yeah, I think the gravity is, gravities are come in right around 2600 bucks brand new. I talked with um, Kurt Fister. I know, I, I'll shut up here in just a second. But he said that he can... Uh, get a wing i don't even know what winged uh, kurt fister has what is what is the wing that he has do you know i have no idea he says that he has a he ha his wings are 2650 delivered i don't know what the wing is i don't know who has one what they're called what the the reliability of them but you know you the know. benefits of that is when you buy gear from kurt you get free training so yeah i've heard <laughs> you know what we we probably need to have kurt on here you know, and ask him because, because I don't know these things, you know, it's like, you know, have somebody that's trained with Kurt, maybe we'll get um, Paramotor Crazy on here, right, and uh, have Kurt and have, um, you know, David on here and, and talk about, you know, the training and how good it is and uh, the equipment. Well, I, I can tell you about the equipment side of it, because I've had firsthand experience with Fresh Breeze stuff. Okay. It's good gear. Uh, I'll come out and start by saying that Fresh Breeze is not bad gear. Okay. The problem, in my opinion, with Fresh Breeze is twofold. Number one biggest, biggest complaint I have is it's a high hang point machine. We're not in 1994 anymore. Nobody flies a high hang point machine. No one makes one. No one sells one. Okay, for the new people that are out there, the newbies, what's the difference between a high hang point and what is going on now? So a high hang point, you're basically clipping the wing in at your shoulders on the, the straps that connect your shoulders to the paramotor. Is that dangerous? Puts, well, you don't have as much control. You're more of a pendulum. So you don't have any weight shift authority other than loading the carabiners. You can't articulate the wing. I mean, this is one of the things like we've discussed with your angel frame. You right. can move your body underneath one or the other riser, but because of the geometry, you can't articulate the actual shape of the wing. You can only move underneath one or the other side. So when you have high hang points, it's essentially the same as having fixed position hang points. So you, if you roll the wing into a turn, you mm -hmm. don't necessarily have the ability to weight shift the wing so you don't have the manipulation to keep the wing in its dynamic form gotcha <clears throat> secondarily it's a really funky position because it puts everything high up so if you watch the scout series of videos miroslav puts out a video that's really good that breaks down the differences and the benefits and drawbacks of a high hang point a mid hang point and a low hang point what does turbulence better? What does cross country better? And he, he, he breaks it down in such a way where it categorizes each 
type of frame, not necessarily just this manufacturer, but this design, whether it's a high hang point, medium or low, whether it's got straight arms, swan arms. I mean, the geometry that goes into each, each paramotor is unique to fit a given characteristic. So with the Fresh Breeze, like I said, it's got high hang points. I personally despise high hang points. I just think it's garbage. It's antiquated. It's old tech. It's not anything. If you look across the market, you're going to see only two manufacturers anymore that are common and current. And that's the top 80 with the high hang points on the ABM frame. And then the stupid fresh breeze. Those are the two most common high hang point machines. There's other ones I'm sure, but those are the two most common ones. The mini plane, you can actually change the harness from a high hang point to a low hang point just by buying a set of supplemental J bars. And then you can change the type of machine it is. They come from the factory designed to do that. Fresh Breeze does not. Fresh Breeze comes from the factory designed to be put on a little three wheel buggy that looks like something that came from Kmart with a little plastic fishing chair that you're supposed to go fly it with. That's Listen. what they. That's what Dave had, and he will tell you from the Fresh Breeze trike to his new Flash Cruiser, night and day. Really? The quality, everything about it, just night and day difference. One, mm. is, one is somebody's garage drawn up on a napkin at the bar idea. The other one is a well-thought-out engineered idea. But the German engineering of the Fresh Breeze does have some benefits. The biggest ones that I will say is the gas tank being mounted up high. So most paramotors, the gas tank's down below your butt or right behind your back. Right. If you go into water, the gas tank becomes buoyant because gas is lighter than water. And more times than not, your gas tank has more air in it than it does fuel in it. Mm -hmm. So you have a big three to five gallon buoy that's going to float. So paramotors don't sink. A lot of people think you hit the water, you're going to glub, glub, glub with 60 pounds of weight. They actually float. But they float upside down in a negative because that buoy always floats at the top, right? right? So if you go into water with a paramotor, what happens is it wants to roll you upside down. When your nasal goes upside down, you lose positive pressure. Water runs in your sinus. It invokes a panic scenario where you feel like you're drowning. So anytime water goes through your sinus, it Im immediately peaks your brain to think, I'm going to drown. And that makes you panic, which then means it's harder to get out of buckles and clips. With the Fresh Breeze, having the gas tank above your head means the buoy is above your head. It's on top. So if you go into water, you're going to be in water, but at least that buoy is bobbing around up here, right? Instead right. of flipping you upside down. So that's a minor safety aspect of going into water if there was one for Fresh Breeze. The downside, secondary downside, is the thing weighs like 95 friggin' pounds. So if you're one of those guys that is comfortable running with a full sack of quickcrete on your back, <laughs> then a fresh breeze might be the way to go. So but fresh breeze being that heavy, it probably is like built like a tank, so it doesn't break? Uh, to a point, yeah. I mean, it's a double hooped cage, and it's made out of, I think, chromoly or something like that. I mean, they, they take a pretty decent beating. But again, I mean, it's just, it's heavy gear. Mm -hmm. And in today's market, everybody's doing the opposite. Everything's a titanium frame or aluminum frame. 
lighter motors, lighter weight. It's just, you know, we're, we're, we're moving away from weight and we're moving to lightweight because what we're, what we're seeing and what we're finding is if you have the right landing technique, you're not breaking your stuff. And if you take away the weight and make it lighter, you can have maybe a poor landing and still get away with it because you're not getting drugged the frick down by an 80 pound paramotor. I mean, that's one of the things I think a lot of people kind of remiss when they, when they think about it is it kind of doesn't matter how big a guy you are. I mean, I'm five, eight and I weigh 180 pounds. You're six foot, you weigh 250 pounds with the same 65 pound paramotor on our back. A bad landing puts either one of us down on our hands and knees because the weight of the motor is enough to drive you over. So being big and strong isn't a benefit to having a big, heavy motor. It's just more weight to drive you down when things don't go right. And it's really easy to trip when you have a bunch of weight on your back. And not to mention, because of the way it's designed, any paramotor pretty much, the way you wear it on the ground and on your back, it's really like wobbly. It doesn't wear like a backpack. It's not like comfortable to just cruise around with. It's no. an off balance, off kilter thing. And then when you add a lot of weight to it and you're more off balance and more off kilter, you're maybe break a prop or bend a cage before you ever even got off the ground because you fell down. I mean, yeah. I've, I've tripped just trying to stand up. You put the straps over your shoulder and you go to stand up and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's like, damn, and my, my motor's not even heavy. You add another 25 pounds with that, and it's going to suck. What, what more weight hitting the ground is more weight hitting the ground. How heavy is those uh, top 80s? Or do you have a top 80? Yeah, I've got a top 80. How, how much does that weigh? So my top 80, the frame, everything ready to go up and go fly is, I think it's 48 pounds. That's kind of heavy. I think when I weighed the angel is only 40 something pounds i'll need to look at my my video i did uh, my my moster is i think it's like right at 50 pounds give or take and then the top 80 is just a little bit behind that not a whole lot but a little bit maybe it's 58 pounds i can't remember what it was i did a uh, video um, when i went from my old parajet frame i went from 64 pounds down to i think 52 pounds and it was felt like a big difference to lose shed 10 pounds of frame weight because you can still fill up your gas tanks to five pounds or to, to five gallons and uh it still feels lighter the biggest difference know. though is the top 80 has a counterclockwise prop and then the Moster has a clockwise prop or vice right. versa, whatever, but they're, right. they, they spin opposite directions of each other. So when I fly the Moster, I get really used to the, having that right-hand torque. And then when I fly the top 80, it's all left-hand torque. And so going from one machine to the other, it always takes a little bit of adjustment just because of the torque. And believe it or not, my top 80, I think, has more torque than my Moster has. Really? Yep. Don't they spin faster too? Higher RPM with more reduction. So the Moster does about 8,500 RPMs. The top 80 does 9,800 RPMs. Wow. Right yeah. now I got to rebuild my car because I think I've got a bunch of crap in my screen. Once and I go past half throttle, it doesn't want to run. So why would you have a bunch of stuff in your screen? What would be uh, one of the reasons why you'd have stuff 
in your screen in the first place. I mean, don't you have filters like a filter in the tank and a filter, a fuel filter before it goes to the carb? Yeah, I'm not sure. I watched a, a ton of videos today trying to figure out why, because I sat for, I don't know, I'm going to call it about 45 minutes yeah. going all the way in on the needle and then going out to the recommended turn and a half and then adjusting, you know, quarter turn increments from there. And I could get the low end, the first half of the throttle cycle, I could get it to run nice and crisp and clean. But as soon as I go past half throttle and go to the main jet, because the, the carb on this is a WG8, it's not a W37. So it has a fixed main port with an adjustable low port. So mm -hmm. if you get junk in the carb, it'll block that main jet and then it won't pass fuel through the main jet. And then the motor doesn't want to run on the top end. So I, I think I've just got some garbage in my carb and I need to clean it. What would be a good way of making sure that we don't get junk in our carb? I mean, I try to be very careful when I, when I fill up my tank, you know, it's like I fill it up, you know, on cement or something, not, you know, not out in the grass, you know, I'd be I'm very careful at, you know, I, I make sure I change out that filter at the bottom of the tank. I got an inline fuel filter also. Um, how could you get stuff in the, in the tank in the first place? How, how could you get that messed up? Or is, so it just, think, or is it just carbon? No, it wouldn't be carbon because no, no. It's, it's before it's like lint. It's like it's like pocket lint. Uh -huh. I think, and I'm not positive. This is just a theory that I have in my brain. Inside the air box is a little filter, the foam filter. Mm -hmm. And I think what happens is when when the 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 uh, reeds are working, it's able to spit some fuel back onto that filter. And then when it creates suction, then it sucks the fuel and air from the filter back in through the motor. So I think what's happening is, is that that filter is degrading at a microscopic level, if that makes sense. And then the, the carburetor absorbs those fibers as it flows the air through it. Mm -hmm. And then because there's a, a screen that's on the main jet bypass, I think what happens is it cycles that junk back through that screen the screen gets clogged and then no fuel runs through your main jet. That's my hypothesis. Whether I'm right or wrong, I'll find out. That might be it. Uh, that's one of the things that they recommend to change in your, um, in your, I forget which hour it is, if it's 50 or hundred hours is the foam or, or the, uh, the filter inside your, your air box. A lot of people just don't do that. It's like, why would I want to do that? It's not, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. Why, would I, why do I want to spend that extra money? That might be a reason. I never even thought about that. So, like I said, that's my hypothesis. It's really not a hard carb to build considering it only has one fixed jet, one main jet. Mm -hmm. I'll go through, I'll rebuild it. I'll reset the pop-off pressure. Happily, I've got a 3D printer so I can just print the 0.75 gauge and then set the pop-off for the 0.75 gauge and it'll be no big deal. Just typical paramotor stuff when you fly them like you and like you said like when you fly them like you and i do when you're putting 50 or 100 hours a month on your paramotor yeah. you got to do the maintenance i mean it's as frustrating as it might be to not spend an hour or two this evening and rebuild my carburetor means you know i may not go fly tomorrow when the guys call and say it's good and now instead of going flying, now I'm rebuilding a carburetor instead. So look at all the times that you wouldn't fly anyway because the weather's crap. So that that and that's another good point. When when the weather is crap and you're not able to go fly, it's the perfect time to do the honeydews. Yeah. Whether it's mowing the lawn, doing the dishes, vacuuming, mopping, sweeping, whatever. Because as long as you keep that significant other happy, then 
you can go play and not have any griping and complaining about it. So when you can't fly, the best advice is to do whatever you can to make the friends and family and children and wives and everyone around you as stoked as they can to have you when you're not gone. That is true, because there's a lot of significant others that find it, I don't know, uh, my wife seems to enjoy her, her free time when I go out and fly. You know, it's like, good, she's getting her free time, I, I can go out and fly and everybody's happy. Um, I wonder if there are other significant others that want to spend more time with you and they're upset when you go fly. Is that something? Well, you got a lot of kids too. All my kids are out of the house. Got a lot of. You, you got a lot of. And three, I, almost four. Yeah, that that that's definitely a lot of. And uh, the way you're going, you might have you know eight or ten here in the future. I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> no, I've already I've already got the, I've already got that appointment booked to make sure that doesn't happen. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, <laughs> here we are after 10 o'clock. This is one of the longest um, longest ones to date that we've had uh, 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 podcast-wise. Jibber-jabber. I know, we just jibber-jabber. Hell, we jibber-jabber about jibber-jabber. So uh-huh. thank you thank you so much for, for being on. I guess JP will realize that he's walked the dog just way too long because we're <laughs> But uh, thank you so much. I appreciate you jumping on and, and yapping with me for such a long time. Uh, looks like we still got 13 people watching. So obviously we have couldn't been... have been that boring. <laughs> and no one jumped on either. I put the uh, I put our room number and and passcode out there, and no one jumped on. So they didn't want to catch the Rona. They didn't want to catch the Rona. Too many people in this chat, I guess. Well, thank you. Uh, kevincanfly.com uh, check out his page um, I'm Sean Simons PPG Grandpa JP is down there we had Linda we also had um, uh, Don't Choke Your Dog I can't remember what Chris's is it's so Chris hard for me. yeah I don't I can't remember what Chris's my has my dog it's, is choking my dog's choking there we go it's all in the all in the description down below we had uh, Shane uh, Never Trust the Skinny Chef Shane we also had uh, Brian Haybill Waller in the chat. Do we have anybody else? I can't remember. Not today. Not today. Well, we will be here next week. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. We're going to stop live stream. Peace out, y'all. Peace. 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 I don't know. West side, east side. All right, guys. Later. Peace.